we are on air for our Fan for Racing NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. This week we're previewing all the races at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, and joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, another big weekend. We've got uh, two at the NASCAR's top level. But then we also have essentially three races within the one for the Arca Menard series. Yes, indeed. We're going to start out the first uh, half hour. In fact, we're going to talk about those three races in one uh, with the Arca Menard series, the Sioux Chief Showdown, and the Arca West series all racing at Phoenix Raceway in one race, but three different opportunities to earn points in all three of those series. Uh, for the Sioux Chief Showdown in the Arpa West, that's a um, uh, season opening race, uh, for, and uh, it's going to be a big deal. So definitely looking forward to that race. Uh, in the next 15 minutes, we'll talk some short track news and uh, talk about all the different things that are happening in the short track world over the next uh, weekend as well. At 9 o'clock, Jay, our guest, JoJo Wilkinson, will come on board. Uh, She's with Jet Motorsports this season, and uh, uh, we're kind of sandwiching her between two big events down there in Alabama this weekend. Yeah, I know last weekend I talked to her. She was practicing there at uh, Montgomery Speedway for the Montgomery 200. This weekend, Southern Alabama Speedway and the Rattler 250. A couple of big events going on over here in Alabama. Yes, indeed. I know that Rattler 250 is huge. Uh, And we'll talk about that with JoJo Wilkinson at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time today. Uh, Then at 9.15, we're going to get into some updates from the NASCAR Truck Series. They're not racing this weekend, uh, but we'll let you know when the next race is going to take place and kind of just kind of fill you in on some of the details of what's going on in the Truck Series uh, and any news, because there is some news that came out this week as well uh, that pertains to the NASCAR Truck Series. Then at uh, 9.30, uh, we will do both the Xfinity and the Cup Series Trace race preview at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, We'll spend 15 minutes each on those two series. Uh, Sometimes we get a little bit ahead of ourselves, and I take advantage of that because usually by the time we get to the Cup Series, they have so much more information. We need all that extra time we can get. So just keep in mind that those times are kind of rough times. Um, Also at 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan for racing crew, and we have both uh, Andy Lasky and Mike Orzel joining us at that 10 o'clock hour. Well, and you mentioned we definitely have a couple of hot topics to, to cover there uh, already up on the board. I know that. So going to be an interesting wrap-up for the night with hot topics, as it always is. <laughs> as it always is. You're right about that, Jay. Okay, let's go ahead and get started with the Arkham Menard Series. Um, uh, we mentioned it before. This is a really big race because uh, we've got three different series, all racing the General Tire 150 on March 11th. That's tomorrow night uh, out at Phoenix Raceway. And uh, uh, it's for the 
uh, it's season openers for the Arco West and the Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, the Arco West is their own series, but the Sioux Chief Showdown is 10 races within the 20 races that are run by the Arco Menard Series that is a championship of its own. And uh, so this will be the first race of the Sioux Chief Showdown, the first race of the Arco West. And I believe the second or third race for the uh, Arkham Menard series. Yeah, what is, I believe second race. Uh, they opened at Daytona. I believe this is their second race. Let me see. We'll get to that when I we talk about the points. Second. But I believe it's – yeah. Um, but you mentioned the opening, opening a race for the Arkham Menards West. And we've seen in the past how important that momentum getting the year going – uh, on the right foot, uh, heavy on the right foot, if you will, for the gas pedal, but uh, getting off on the right foot to start a season. So the season opener is a huge deal for these guys in the Arkham Menards West. It is indeed. And they're on the national stage because you've got both the NASCAR Cup Series and Xfinity Series racing at that track as well. So they're kind of the opening act, if you will. That race will be Friday night, tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on MAP-TV's Motorsports Network, and you can also watch on the live streaming service of Flow Racing. So uh, that's two ways that you can watch this race. You can also listen on the radio at MRN and SiriusXM. Uh, channel 391 or the online channel 981 or at com. This is a one-mile trioval. They'll be racing 150 laps. There will be practice and qualifying starting at 2 p.m. local time, and the race starts at 5 p.m. mountain time, but that's 7.30 p.m. eastern time. So uh, definitely a lot for fans to look forward to in this race, as we've already mentioned uh, already about the, the three series. Uh, but there's a lot of great drivers racing this event. Yeah, I was looking down the entry list, and, and I couldn't even count uh, how many we got total entry uh, on the entry list. But you mentioned it, the Arkham Menards West Series season opener combined with the Arkham Menards Series. And some of these drivers that aren't eligible to run all the races, they're there just as a Sioux Chief Showdown race. So a great mm-hmm. mixture. Uh, we could spend the whole 15 minutes we have here on that entry list, I think. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll go over the uh, – the, it features 40 competitors from both all of those divisions, and chief among them are a group of competitors expected to pursue the West Series championship, including the 2021 uh, runner-up, Jake Drew. Uh, the 22-year-old last year uh, lost that championship to Jesse Love via a tiebreaker. Uh, so he is back again this year with Sunrise Racing to drive that number six Ford owned by Bob Brunsotti. Love is also competing in the majority of the Arkham Menard Series races this year for Venturini Motorsports after two straight West Series championships. Uh, so that's going to be a competition. That's going to be a rivalry uh, with those two tying for the championship last season. Jesse Love got it on uh, the, you know, season performance. Uh, so he he, had, he held the tiebreaker. And uh, 
uh, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun watching what happens with those drivers. Well, and we mentioned the main Arca Menard series, that season opener at Daytona. And I know maybe not if you're a race fan, you understand it, but Daytona is Daytona. Uh, that sounds simple, but it's a little more complex than that. We got some drivers that were in that race. Your winner, Corey Heim, not entered this weekend, not running the full season. So we're going to see the Arkham and Menard series kind of sort itself out as you mentioned the championship contenders really come to form and see who's on top of their game right from the get-go and who's going to maybe need to do a little bit of catch-up in the other 19 races they have this year. Exactly. Now, there's also going to be a trio, trio of drivers from Bill McAnally Racing. And in the West Series, this is the premier uh, team. Uh, his uh, drivers this year are Austin Herzog, Cole Moore, and Derek Krause. Derek Krause also races in the Camping World Truck Series. So uh, it's going to be fun to see what Derek's able to do in this race on Saturday, on Friday night as well. And I'm sure that's going to uh, give him some experience on the Phoenix track, uh, which he has quite a bit of experience already on that track. Well, as they say, uh, as a driver, no matter what vehicle you're in, what track you're in, what format you're in, seat time is so valuable. And we're going to see that with the progression of Derek Krause. Uh, that seat time in, in any kind is so valuable just for them to, to learn different little things, whether it be about the track, the vehicle, the setup, that they can maybe not directly apply to, say, in his case, the Camping World Truck Series, but little things and gives them a direction to go in with another uh, with another series or vehicle. Then, okay, another another duel that's uh, going to be back this weekend are Paul and PJ Pedron Pedron uh, They're back for another season in the West Series. Uh, PJ broke through in a big way last year in his first full West Series season. He won the first race at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California. He entered the finale last year at Phoenix as one of seven drivers mathematically capable of winning the championship, uh, but an 18th place uh, result, uh, he ended up in fourth place at, for championship points as a result. Uh, but I'm looking forward to those guys being back again this year. But we've got some other folks that are going to be back. Uh, Junior Motorsports has a, a, an entry this week as well. Yeah, I was just looking in that. Josh Berry going to be in the uh, number 17. And if you look all the way to the right on our chart there, crew chief listed as Amber Slagle. We had her on uh, last Thursday. Was it Thursday night or Monday night? Thursday night. Um, Thursday night, I believe. Said she wasn't sure. Yeah, she has done it before, wasn't sure. She knew she was going to be out there in Phoenix, what her role would be, but she's going to be the crew chief with Josh Berry. Yes, indeed. Uh, he's going to make his West Series debut and his sixth start in the Arkham Menard Series piloting that number 17 Chevrolet owned by Steve McGowan. Uh, Barry scored two Xfinity Series wins last year in a limited schedule for multiple teams. But this year he's running that full Xfinity Series schedule for the first time and will compete in Saturday's Xfinity Series race on the one-mile trial rule aboard the number eight junior motorsports Chevrolet in addition to uh, running in this Arkham Menard Series. But we've also got uh, the Arca East champion, 
on board this weekend. Yeah, that was the next one I certainly would have looked at. Sammy Smith coming out of Johnston, Iowa, and that's part of the Joe Gibbs Racing Stable. I know it listed as Kyle Busch now as the owner. Uh, Mark McFarland, another one. you got to key in on these crew chiefs. Uh, Mark McFarland, a uh, very, very well-known crew chief um, on the box. So Sammy Smith coming out to the west. And, again, looking at that a Sioux Chief showdown that he can be a part of. Absolutely. He's sharing that number 18 this year with Drew Dollar. He has one previous West start at Phoenix, and Smith started second and finished third in last year's finale as a teammate to the race winner, Ty Gibbs. In addition to those West Series regulars, many of the Arkham and Art Series stars will be on hand for the combination race, including Daytona runner-up, Parker Chase for Venturini Motorsports. Uh, Chase is competing in 10 races this year for Venturini and will race as a teammate to the aforementioned Jesse Love and Tony Breidinger. So other Mark Arkham Menard Series full-timers who will be on hand this weekend include Roger Carruth, Daniel Dye, Nick Sanchez, Amber Balcane, and Greg Van Alt. So uh, there's uh, a few drivers that we can kind of highlight there. Uh, are there any others that kind of catch your eye on that entry list, uh, Jay? No. Actually, I actually wanted to hit two of the ones you mentioned, Parker Chase and uh, Daniel Dye. This being the second race right now, Parker Chase second in points, Daniel Dye third in points. And you mentioned Parker only running uh, 10 races. Daniel Dye, I think, is the first full-time Arkham and Arge driver in points right now in third. So that's where I said we're going to see the point standings kind of shuffle out as we get settled into who's running full-time, what mm-hmm. schedule they're running uh, primarily for the championship. Some of these Sioux Chief showdown, showdown drivers are going to mix in there a little bit, but we're going to start to see that shuffling uh, coming out of Daytona in this race as they get deep into the schedule. Yes, indeed. Another one that I kind of want to call out here is uh, our guest on Monday night. Uh, we do have Zachary Tinkle, who is driving for Wayne Peterson Racing. Uh, he's driving the number 10. He will be on our show Monday night at 9 o'clock. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, kind of doing a recap with him of this race on Friday night. Uh, again, his name is Zachary Tinkle. He does a lot uh, with rescue, um, animal rescue organizations, and uh, I want to definitely look forward to talking to him about that as well. Well, I was going to stop you there because I thought that was your whole point was you said he does a lot. I think it was Daytona weekend. You had the Arca Menard Series. The Arca East was at uh, New Smyrna. I think we saw his mm-hmm. name on three out of four or five entry lists of everything that was running that weekend. So he does do a lot, <laughs> period. Yes, he does. So uh, looking forward to getting to know him because he's going to be racing uh, throughout the season as well. So, But there are so many. Nick Gillenides is on the list this year. Uh, Bridget Burgess is, is on the list as club from Illinois here. Uh, he's going to be racing. Uh, there's so many for us to shout out here, uh, but we're running out of time. Uh, and unfortunately, we're not going to be at Christian Rose. He's been on our show and will be on again in a couple of weeks. Uh, there's just so many drivers on that list, 40 drivers on that list. So it's going to be fun. 
Well, and tune in next Monday night at, with uh, Sharon and Sal for the recap because that's where it's going to be important of, of who's at the top of the list coming out of the weekend, as we mentioned, splitting up these different series and their points. Yes, indeed. Uh, but 40 cars, uh, that's a lot of cars to be on uh, Phoenix Raceway one-mile track. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting uh, for sure. It's going to be a very competitive race. Okay, let's go ahead and move over to our short track racing news. Uh, you mentioned there's a couple of races that are going to be taking on uh, this weekend, and uh, the Rattler 250 is one of them. Uh, that is a huge event that drivers come from all over the country uh, to take part in. It is, and you're looking at, uh, I believe, the first race of the Southern Super Series, the Deep South Super Late Model uh, Division. Um, that's where they hit their uh, season feet down on the ground running, uh, if you will. Uh, there's some articles where uh, Racing America, uh, some interesting articles. Looking back on previous winners, Ty Majeski going for a record fourth in a row um, to hold the stake. That was the other one, that, uh, hold it, holding that Rattler. I know Harrison Burton and uh, his mom, Kim, uh, that's one of them that got highlighted, as well as Noah Gregson. And these are some <laughs> of the names we've seen in the past. Some of them are on the entry list for this weekend, too. Yeah, Bubba Pollard won back in 2012. Uh, and he just, there, there, there's a kind of an interesting article of uh, different drivers' reactions uh, to being in victory lane. There's a reason it's called the Rattler 250. Let me just say it that way. <laughs> I, just, I just can't help thinking of a Denny Hamlet didn't hi, like holding up the lobster. I think I'd hold the lobster before I'd hold the rattlesnake. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> so uh, this is a do not miss race for sure. And uh, I believe that Racing America will do live streaming of that race. So, uh you can catch all the action there. Um, and I was trying to see if they listed any place else. It's going to pay at least 15000 to win with a minimum of 1500 to start. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't really say, but I'm pretty sure they're going to probably uh, have this on Racing America. Here, it's got live events here. Uh, yeah, the Rattler 250 will start at 8 p.m. Eastern time, and you will be able to watch that. They also have the Grasshopper 125 at South Alabama. Uh, that's at 3 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. And then the Rattler 250 and Southern Super Series at South Alabama. This is the big one, right, Chow, or Jay? Um, March yep. 13th on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Yep, again, an entire weekend of racing. Again, we talk about this with it, with the other classes, the support classes. you got the super late models, the pro late models, and I don't see the two other classes. I know the uh, modified, Mayhem Modifieds, I think when we were talking about it last week, were one of the classes um, yeah, that will be running over the course of the weekend. With Bobby Labonte, didn't we say they, they were going to be there, or is that a different the, track? I think – I think that's a different track, but they are also running okay. this weekend as well as uh, the Cars Tour is going to open uh, 2022 with their biggest race of the year as well. So, again, a lot of short track uh-huh. racing going on throughout the, the country. Yes, indeed. And I know 
Uh, Flow Racing has a lot going on this weekend as well. Uh, they've got the James Stewart Spring Championships that you can watch March 10th through the 13th. Uh, the Elk River Snowcross National uh, from March 11th to the 12th. The USAC Shamrock Classic at DeCoin. Uh, that's going to be a big one to watch uh, over the weekend. And the season opener at Georgetown on March 11th, along with the Arkham and Hurt Series at Phoenix. You can, again, you can watch that on Flow Racing. Uh, opening night at Ocean, uh, Ainsley Memorial at Central, and weekly racing at Lincoln, weekly racing at Hickory, uh, the USAC 360s at Bakerfield. All of that happening uh, between the 11th and the 12th. And on the 13th, you've got the Porsche Sprint Challenge at Sebring. A lot to watch over there at Floor Sport Racing as well. Yeah, most certainly. I think that's been a couple of weeks since we had Brandon on here from Flow Racing. Uh, I know that's what my dad uses there. Up, up in Minnesota, we've been talking about opening weekends. We just had ours here for the dirt track. Uh, they got to wait a little bit longer. They have a tough time getting going in April. We have that weather we got to deal with in March. They try and start in April, so that's a way for fans uh, in, in areas where they don't have racing yet. They still get to watch it. They still get to watch it. Um, uh, that is true. I, I'm going to pick up Mav TV here too because I know Mav TV. Uh, has their Motorsports Network. And we mentioned that the Arkham and Art Series uh, is going to be on this weekend live, uh, and you'll be able to watch that there. But uh, coming up on March 18th, you've got the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series that will be racing live on Mav TV as well. And on March 26th, you've got the 500 Sprint Car Tour at Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis. Uh, showing live on Mad TV as well. And the Lifted Life new season starts uh, as well. And you can watch every episode and add that to your calendar. So uh, that looks like a truck series race. And uh, there is so much to watch on these streaming services. You know, and, and I got to give a shout out. We, when we had Brandon on, he was one that, that – talked about it we talked about this flow racing and what they're bringing together in the racing community you know he admitted himself he was an asphalt guy as he got involved with flow racing seeing some of these dirt races and i remember him mentioning the sprint cars and the midgets um getting involved in that and seeing that and really getting an appreciation for dirt track racing uh going back to as you cover the grassroots racing you know, it's it's not necessarily about one better than the other. They're different, but it's still great, great mm-hmm. racing. They do. They've got really awesome racing. I went over some of the ones here uh, for March. Uh, so I think I covered everything that's going to happen in March here uh, with the Arkham and Art Series, uh, the Daytona 200, which is a super sport uh, at Daytona, uh, the Lucas Oil uh, late model dirt series live at Atomic Speedway. That's in Chillicothe, Ohio. And then the 500 Sprint Car Tour with the Sprint Cars at Lucas Oil Raceway out there in Indianapolis. Uh, those are all of the events that you can watch live on Nav TV this month. So uh, pretty exciting uh, that we have access to all of these uh, great sport racing events. 
Well, and talking about that, it just crossed my mind. I think this was on Flow Racing. Uh, Dad was talking about they're getting starting to get into the Bristol dirt races already. Again, you know, two months worth of racing there on the uh, dirt track at Bristol, and it culminates with the Cup Series when they return there. Um, but Dad was already talking about that and getting excited about that. Yes, indeed. Um, this. Let's see. I'm trying to see. I. If I missed anything on the schedule here uh, for this uh, inflow racing, I think I covered everything, actually. Yeah, we covered everything for the weekend. Now, if you're a member of Flow Racing at Flow Sports, uh, you can see the event schedules there and put those on your calendar so that you don't miss any of the uh, uh, big racing events that are taking place. Uh, uh, and you can watch those activities live uh, on live streaming. So uh, I really encourage fans to do that. But, Jay, let's, let's get into our next guest that's coming up. I know we've got a few minutes here uh, to kind of set up uh, JoJo Wilkinson and uh, her coming on board here on Fan for Racing Radio. All right. Well, again, coming from a family-owned team, got 10 races with Jet Motorsports this year, as well as, and we'll have to ask her to clarify, I know she's doing some races for Bill McAnally Racing in the Arca Menard Series West. We talk about Bill McAnally Racing, and I, I know I, a couple of things I want to ask her about that, how that came about, but getting some Arkham Nard Series West starts again this year as well, and we'll be part of that Rattler 250 weekend at Southern Alabama Speedway. Okay. so And those are events that are happening this weekend, so she can kind of help us preview uh, and maybe give us an idea of what we can watch for in these events. Most certainly. I, I think that's great. Uh, able to schedule it, like you said, between the two, uh, coming off of uh, Montgomery Speedway and heading into Southern Alabama Speedway in between these two big weekends here in the Alabama um, as far as the Pro Late Models and Super Late Model Series. And she's with a new team this year, too. I think she's raced uh, uh, with her own team or with her family team. Uh, for several years, and this year she's racing with Jet Motorsports, so that's going to be something we can talk to her about as well. Yeah, most certainly. Again, that opportunity as they grow and get these opportunities. We've seen this in, in the past uh, of many drivers starting with the home, uh, family-owned team, and some of them do carry it all the way to the top level, as we've seen at NASCAR's top levels, but it also opens the doors and, and availability to move into another team. And, yeah, this year, like I said, I believe it's 10 races with Jet Motorsports. Mm -hmm. It's what – say that again, Jay. I said with I believe Jet it's uh, 10, 10 races, I believe, uh, with 10 races with Jet Motorsports, yes. Oh, okay, 10 races this year with Jet Motorsports. Okay, that, that's pretty cool. Um, so – uh, looking forward to uh, talking to JoJo. You mentioned we had Amber Slagle on last week. Uh, this week it's JoJo Wilkinson. And we've, our schedule is fairly full for uh, the rest of March. And it won't be long, but we'll start getting into our April schedule here as well. We'll have to see if we can't get Amber Balcane on sometime in April. 
And that's another aspect to it. Uh, I mentioned uh, we've had several of the female drivers on, JoJo being one of, if you will, the next generation from the Alabama gang coming out of Hueytown, mm-hmm. Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's pretty cool. Uh, and that's that's where you're living right now, right, Jay? Out there in Alabama? Yeah. Well, I live right on the, uh, the inside of the Mississippi line. It's about an hour uh, over to Hueytown there, just outside Birmingham. Uh, it's actually where my son lives. So uh, it's always great going down there. You see uh, Allison uh, Drive right there in Hueytown. Uh, I always like to just drive down that road and think about it as I'm riding down it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I know, like you said, she does race some Arkham and Art Series events as well. So uh, we can talk to her and see what's on the schedule there for her for this season in the Arkham and Arts, uh, whether it's the West or the Main Series, I'm not sure, uh, or whether or not she'll be able to race some of the East Series as well. Yeah, the, the doors, like I said, mentioned, the, the doors of opportunity that open as you go through and take these steps, uh, good performances and other events where you see in this weekend, uh, looking at the, the entry list, um, some of the drivers that are going to be down there, Ty Majeski, uh, course, uh, Carson Hosevar, as teams like that show up, we've mentioned it going back to Kyle Busch noticing Eric Jones at the Snowball Derby. Joey Logano got noticed by Kevin Harvick at uh, Arkham Menards East Series up at, uh, I believe, either Iowa or Minnesota. You know, that's where these drivers get noticed by the top teams. That is true. JoJo is here if you want to go ahead and bring her. I've got her in the queue, and you can go ahead and do the introductions and uh, start our interview with her. All right. Well, I already mentioned it, kind of the next generation of the Hueytown, Alabama gang. So, uh, JoJo Wilkinson, welcome to Fan for Racing. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our our pleasure. Uh, we got you at a great time. I know uh, when I talked to you last week, you were testing and getting ready for the Montgomery 200 at Montgomery Speedway. And then this week for the Rattler 250 here. Uh, I know your mom mentioned, said something about Op Alabama. I was like, she was going to explain it. And I'm like, you don't even have to tell me where that is. I know where that is. <laughs> yes, sir. So first, let, let's talk about uh, your race with uh, – at Montgomery, um, Sharon mentioned a little bit ago, you're going from a family-owned race team to this year, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you got 10 races with uh, Jet Motorsports with the Pro Late model. Is that correct? Um, yes, sir, but we hope to add more. Um, just trying to get as much seat time as I possibly can um, to get me ready for those future ARCA races. Um, so it was very good. We had a very good weekend. It was exciting. Um, it's different being on, being on the other side of racing and not having to worry about how we're getting to the track or what all do I need to do to be able to even practice because it was just me and my dad. So now that I have a team to help, I can sit back and focus more on the driving part to make me a better driver. And that was the whole goal with this um, whole Jet Motorsports deal. Well, you're good. You already answered a question I was going to ask of talking about that, of going to a new team, specifically one then you don't own. So you're right, the financial burden comes off a little bit. 
But, but talk about that of meshing with the team then. I know last week when I chatted with you, um, you were out with the crew. And uh, I think it was mentioned you also went from a GARC to the Fury car and taking some time to adjust to that. I mean, a lot of people don't understand it's not just a race car as a race car. There are some differences in them um, that you got to get used to. Yes, sir. I, I personally struggled a little bit going from a GARC car to a Fury driving-wise. But um, like I said to other people, it's like riding a bicycle, Um you you know how to drive a race car, and with seat time, um, you get better at that. So, me personally, I haven't had as much seat time as most other drivers, um, but I still am a rookie, and I'm a lot younger than most drivers, of course. But um, just trying to focus on being a better driver during 2022 and um, trying to get bigger and better at the things that, I know that I'm not 110% ready for yet. Um, so it's just a process, and you're just going through the steps with it. All right. Well, uh, I got a couple more questions, but I'm going to let, let Sharon here, our, our host and uh, owner of uh, Fan for Racing here, if she asks them, then, uh, then I'll, we'll get those answered. But I want to give her the opportunity as well to jump in here. So, Sharon, I'm going to let you ask a couple questions. Okay. Uh Jojo, thank you for being on our race on our show here tonight. We really appreciate uh, you taking the time out to be here. Um, and you're what about eight? Sam, I just turned eighteen. Okay, so uh, are you still in high school or have you graduated? I'm still in high school. I'm a senior at Hueytown High School, and I'm also on the varsity cheerleading team. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so you have a pretty busy schedule. Uh, talk about how how you manage that uh, along with your racing career. Uh, do you do – I'm assuming you don't do homeschooling. Yeah, you're, you're actually going to high school. How do, you, uh, how do your classmates uh, think about you as a, a race car driver? Do they know that you're racing? Uh, yes, Sam. They know that I race. Uh, I surround myself where I try to surround myself around um, good people with positive energy because I, I need that in my life to be able to juggle all of it at once. Um, so I actually pray a lot about it and um, just try to surround myself with good people. And I have a great support system um, my family, my friends, they help me juggle it all. And um, it's not always perfect, but life isn't perfect, of course. So um, you have to go through those hard times to be able to come out on top and go through the good times. Um, so, yeah, just surround yourself by good people and pray about it. And that's how I've gotten through it all. Okay, I think that's a, a good uh, roadmap uh, for how to, how to manage all of that. Uh, talk about your team, Jet Motors. Uh, you, you're, are you dealing with a new crew chief and, and an entire new team by making this change? Or are you bringing some of the people yes, that you've worked it, with in the past? It's a completely new team. Um, I actually have never – I never met them before. Um, I drove down to Jacksonville to get the seat mounted. So I've only talked to them over the phone. Um, but once I drove down to Jacksonville from Hueytown, Alabama, 
um, it's like we instantly knew each other. And right then I knew that I was in a good space and a good position for my racing career. Um, I just felt like they could help me a lot. And as a driver, a young driver at that, I need that in my life to be able to go and achieve my goals that me and my family have for me. Um, so it's a completely different aspect of racing and a brand new team, but it makes it a little bit better on me because I can learn more that way. Okay. Now you mentioned your goal with, uh, racing in the pro late models, uh, is to kind of help you prepare for racing in the Arca Menard series. Uh, do you have races that you've got on your book already, or is that something that's kind of a work in progress right now? Um, I'm actually not allowed to say anything right now, but um, it is a work in progress, to say the least. But um, I just have goals set for myself, and um, I know if I achieve those goals that I can go out there and run the ARCA West races. So we're just taking it one race at a time, but um, we're really excited for the future, of course. Okay, and I can't wait to hear, uh, you know, when you do have news to share with us. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pass it back to Jay because I know he still has some more questions for you as well. And uh, I'll probably talk to you before you leave one more time. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay, well, uh, you mentioned you mentioned cheerleading. Uh, there again, I'm familiar with it, Golden Bears uh, for Hueytown. Um, but you mentioned the, the Arca Menard Series West. So how does somebody from Hueytown, Alabama, get involved with an Arca Menard Series West? Tell us about how that came about. Um, so Bill McAnally reached out to me um, personally, and he just asked me about me, and he said that he had been keeping up with me a lot, um, and he's the owner of BMR, Bill McNally Racing. Um, He owns a truck team and then an ARCA West team. Um, So he had this BMR Drivers Academy last year, and he called me on my birthday and said, hey, will you come up here and will you race? Um, So we went up there and we raced the academy deal with sponsor help, of course, from Instacote Premium Products. And it was a race every other weekend at a different track in California. And I kind of did good there and um, surprised him a little bit. So we had the opportunity to run three ARCA West races. And um, this year I think that we will be um, surprised with that as well. Well, that's great. And that, that leads into into one of my final questions here. This weekend at the Rattler, we're going to see some of uh, the ones that have made it to NASCAR's top level. I mean, Carson Hosevar, Ty Majeski coming back. These other teams that you get to be around. I know you're focused on, on your car and your team, but when you have events like this, you get to work around these other drivers that have made it to the top level. Um, are you able to talk to them and, and kind of pick their brains, as they say, even just watching them on the track and learning from them and then getting noticed as you, as you move up the ranks? Uh, yes, sir. I'm actually good friends with quite a few of them. Um, I've been around late model racing for a very long time. My dad raced back in the day, and it's the only thing that I know. So 
I've been around the racetrack for a long time, but um, I personally think that the NASCAR deal and a short track race is completely different. Um, You could have a guy pull up in an open trailer and beat the whole field. So I don't really look at it that way, but yes, I'm able to go and talk to people that have made it that far and get the other side of racing out of them and talk to them about that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that again. The true race fans understand that. It's talking about showing up with an open trailer. Uh, I want to say it was at Iowa Speedway where we saw one in the Arkham Menards series. That still brought that open trailer. They had their Arkham Menards car on an open trailer. Um, so, yeah, we have seen that, and, and that's still a, still a part of the heritage of racing and is really great. Um, before I turn it over to Sharon for wrap-up, I do have one final question there. One of the articles on um, Racing America talking about winning and having the uh, trophy, which is a rattlesnake, how do you feel about if you were get to get to hold that rattlesnake? I'm going to be completely honest. If we were to win the race, I would probably take the snake home with me. At that point, I would not be scared of no snake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you get to get to have a pet snake at home then. Uh, hopefully your mom's okay with that. But uh, I'm sure, as Kim Burton was, uh, you deal with it, right? <laughs> Yes, sir. All right. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Sharon here as she wraps it up. Uh, thank you again so much for coming on and being a part of our program tonight. Good luck there this weekend at uh, Southern Alabama Speedway for this Rattler 250. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I really appreciate y'all. Okay. Uh, JoJo, one of the things we've been talking a lot about here on Fan for Racing Radio is the many streaming services that are now available so fans can watch uh, the grassroots racing that, that you do so much of. Uh, can you tell us what should fans watch for when they're watching the races this weekend out there uh, in South Alabama? I would just say to watch for the number 11, Jet Motorsports Instacote Premium Products, Toyota <laughs> Camry. <laughs> I hope we're out front, but um, I'm just taking this weekend to learn as much as I can with the new team and see where we can go from here. You've raced that track before, though, right? Yes, ma'am. I've raced here. This will be my fifth uh, Rattler, I think, fourth or fifth. Um, we're normally pretty good here. Um, this track, is, it just has a lot of short track racing, a lot of action. Um, so you just have to get lucky and hope you can make it till the end. All right. Well, we hope you make it to the end and uh, up there contending. And uh, tell, that, tell us how you people can follow you, JoJo, because uh, you mentioned there could be some announcements coming forthcoming about the Arca uh, or Arca West. Uh, how can fans follow you to hear that news? My Facebook page is where we post most of our stuff. Um, JoLynn JoJo Wilkinson, driver number 11. And then Instagram is more of like behind the scenes or a day today in my life with racing or hanging out with friends, whatever I'm doing. Um, so both of those are good social media accounts to follow and watch my racing. 
Okay. Well, once again, I just want to say thank you for being on the show. I certainly hope this isn't the last time that we have you on. We hope somewhere down the road you'll be able to come back and visit with us again. We really enjoyed getting to know you here tonight. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Hey, Sharon, can I jump in here real quick? Sure, sure. Uh, one thing, JoJo, I, I forgot to mention this. Uh, I wanted to say I really, really, I got to see race last year. I, I believe it was at Huntsville. Uh, and I wanted to make sure I said this and I forgot. I uh, had a bit of a rough day. I'd been in a couple accidents. But the one thing I saw was you kept coming back. And I don't remember how many laps down you ended up. But you never just gave up and quit for the day. You kept coming back out. And I, I just wanted to say, you know, that is something really great to see. I'm sure that car was a handful to, to drive, but you kept coming back out and never just pulled in and called it a day. Yes, sir. I've always grown up with my dad. It's just been me and him. So uh, we never really had the pockets to go run these big races. And we spent a lot of money to even get to Huntsville and Sayree at the time. Um, so we went there to race. We didn't go there to get wrecked and then pull in. If we could fix it, if we had a roll of duct tape, we were going to figure it out. And we did that, and um, I really thank him for putting that into my brain that we're there to race, and you have to keep your head up and um, try to finish strong. Um, But very thankful for him for pounding that into me. All right. Well, thank you, Sharon. And, again, thank you, JoJo, for being on. Sir, thank you so much. Okay. Good luck this weekend. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, JoJo, and and we'll see you down the road. Yes, ma'am. All right. That is JoJo Wilkinson with uh, Jet Motorsports, uh, 18-year-old driver uh, racing at Hueytown, Alabama this weekend, and uh, uh, with Jet Motorsports, and I'll tell you what, I, I think We've got a lot to look forward to in that event. She's got some tough competition, but it sounds like she's uh, uh, got her goals uh, for these races, and uh, I have no doubt that she's going to achieve all of her goals. No doubt, and and as she mentioned, getting getting that call from Bill McAnally, you know, others are noticing Mm -hmm. her, um, and and that's why I wanted to jump in there with that because that is one of the things that Amanda and I noticed watching that race was – that, yeah, uh, laps down and that car was not obviously not completely destroyed, but, I mean, they were going to come out and get as many laps as they could, and I'm sure that's a learning, uh, hard learning process. But she also mentioned it of that what you carry to another team, even though you're not the owner, and I know we've talked about this in, in different areas, of that respect of, hey, you know, even though it's not mine, I have to pay for it now. I'm not just going to go out and wreck it either or, you know, call it a day because mm-hmm. the, the car's not 100% right. Uh, I think that's very important and very commendable on her part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to go ahead and move on now to the Camping World Truck Series. They are not racing this weekend, Jay, uh, but their next race will be at Atlanta Motor Speedway next weekend, the Freight 8208. And um, that's on Saturday, March the 19th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1. You and I will preview that race next Thursday night. Uh, but this is kind of an exciting uh, 
weekend because uh, you'll recall that Atlanta Motor Speedway has been redone. And I think they're looking at it to be a very fast, almost super speedway type track now. Yeah, most certainly. You mentioned it. Uh, the Camping World Truck Series is going to return to that newly repaved and reconfigured Atlanta Motor Speedway, part of a doubleheader afternoon with the NASCAR Xfinity Series on uh, Saturday, March 19th. Uh, it will be the first time this series has competed on the new tracks. So they will get 50 minutes of practice on uh, Friday, March 18th. Um, with qualifying Saturday morning. But overall, Atlanta Motor Speedway has hosted 20 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series uh, events, but since the series has last been there, the track has gone undergone a reprofiling uh, and now it resembles a quad oval layout. Uh, and we'll get into this a little bit more on uh, hot topics, but as part of the update, the banking is increased in the turns from 24 to 28 degrees, now, the banking will remain at 5 degrees on the straightaways. And additionally, the racing surface will become narrower with an overall decrease in width from 55 feet to 40 feet. Uh, the new widths will be 52 feet on the front stretch, 42 on the back stretch, and 40 feet in the turn. So going to be an exciting, like you said, very exciting weekend, starting with the truck series as they'll be the first ones on this new track. Absolutely. Uh, we're also looking at the Snoky Rookie uh, group in this uh, Camping World Truck Series. Dean Thompson won the Rookie of the Race out at Vegas. And through two races uh, this year in the Truck Series, uh, they've been led by Nice Motorsports with Lawless Allen with 30 points, followed by Dean Thompson uh, that's three points back, Wood 14 points back, Corey Heim 18 points back, Blaine Perkins, 22 points back. Allen won the Rookie of the Race Award at Daytona, and as I mentioned earlier, Thompson won that uh, honor at Las Vegas. So uh, this is going to be a very competitive group to watch, I think, throughout the season. I don't know if Corey Heim's racing the full season uh, in the truck series this this year or not, but uh, I, I know that Gene Thompson and Lawless Allen, I believe they are. And uh, I think we'll see some back and forth there for sure. Oh, I think so. And uh, and with that, uh, I believe Corey Heim is limited in the starts, but he's in the KBM truck. And we saw that last year in the Xfinity Series. You don't have to run the full season to be competitive, uh, depending right. on how you do. Now, Team DGR, they got Tanner Gray off to his best start. Um, to the season, uh, to a season in his career. It's his third season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, and Team DGR, Tanner Gray, off to the best start for his career after posting two top five finishes in as many races. Uh, now that North Carolina native finds himself second in the series driver standings, as he's the highest Gray has ranked in the points in his series career, and he's just five points back from series standing leader, Chandler Smith. Uh, real quick, I believe Chandler Smith was on the list for the Supers there at Montgomery this weekend. But going back mm. to Gray, uh, his previous best career at Camping World Truck Series point standing position was fourth, and that was last week following Daytona. Prior to that, it was 12th back in 2020. In 2022, Gray has been paired with veteran crew chief Jerry Baxter as the duo has been quick uh, 
from the drop of the green flag, they finished fourth to open the season at Daytona and then followed it up with a fifth-place finish last weekend at Las Vegas. Looking to Atlanta, Gray has made two NASCAR Camping World Truck Series starts at the track, posted an average finish of 15.0. Okay, next up we're going to talk a little about front row motorsports, Zane Smith. He's kind of in a position that he needs a rebound. Uh, He almost won last week at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, but he ended up crossing the finish line as runner-up. But the bad news is the number 38 Ford, uh, failed the post-race inspection, and so his result was disqualified. Smith instead finished 36th, and now the California has his, the Californian has dropped in the series points lead uh, to 12th in the driver point standings. He's 40 points now behind Chandler Smith, who sits in the standings lead. Now, I did see, too, that they – and we'll probably talk about this on uh, Hot Topics tonight. They did appeal that penalty, by the way, and uh, that appeal was denied. So uh, the, the penalty does continue to stand, and the disqualification continues to stand. But when the series returns this week at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Zane Smith will have his work cut out for him. The 22-year-old is locked into the playoffs thanks to his win, at Daytona International Speedway, but all that's contingent on whether or not he can stay in the top 20 in points and be able to compete full-time in the series. So it's going to be fun to watch Smith rebound when the series returns to Atlanta. In two starts, he's put up one top five and two top tens. His average finish at that 1.54-mile track is a solid 5.5, so he's good there, and I think he's very capable of rebounding uh, when they get to Atlanta, but he's definitely a driver to watch. Oh, without a doubt, and uh, if I have anything to say about it, I think I posted three different updates to that hot topic. Yes, that will uh, will come up later on tonight. <laughs> Um, moving up, uh, we got Matt DiBenedetto has Rackley War running up front early. Rackley War and Matt DiBenedetto are off to a great start for 2022. They got back-to-back top 10 finishes to open the season, starting with a 10th at Daytona and then a 6th at Las Vegas. It's the best start to a season for Rackley War since joining the season last year and the first time the team has posted multiple top 10 finishes in a season. And that's uh, De Benedetto's experience has been a certain boost to the organization this season. The 30-year-old from Grass Valley, California, spent the last seven seasons in the NASCAR Cup Series and refining his skills and working with teams like Levine Family Racing and the famed Wood Brothers Racing. Though in his first season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, he's meshed quickly, uh, quite quickly actually, with crew chief Chad Kendrick, and the number 25 Chevrolet team. The two jumped eight spots in the driver's standings with their performance in Las Vegas and are now ranked six, just 29 points back from the standings lead. Next week at Atlanta Motor Speedway, DiBenedetto will be making his Truck Series track debut. Again, this is his first season in the Truck Series, and it'll be on that recently reconfigured 1.54-mile track. Though the veteran does have seven Cup Series starts at the track, posting one top-ten finish. 
Okay. We mentioned this name earlier. Chad, sorry, Chandler Smith uh, is leading the Truck Series points uh, for the first time in his career. He's with Kyle Busch Motorsports, and uh, with his big win last weekend at Las Vegas, the 19-year-old driver jumped from sixth in the series points to first, and right now he's got a five-point margin over DGR's Tanner Gray in second and 15 points up on Thor Sport Racing's Ty Majestic, Majeski, who sits in third place. The victory at Vegas was his first Camping World Truck Series win at the 1.5-mile track in the third in his series career. Now, Smith will look to hold on to that spot on top of the point standings at the newly redone Atlanta Motor Speedway when the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series returns to action again on Saturday, March the 19th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, You'll be able to watch it on FS1 and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio for the Freight 8, um, the Freight 208 race. Smith made his Truck Series debut at Atlanta just last season, uh, but he struggled by starting 11th, and he ended up finishing 35th. So I know he's going to be looking to uh, do much better than that when they get to Atlanta next weekend, Jay. Yeah, we talked about that. I mean, in the truck series, no matter who's in any of the trucks, full-time or part-time, your KBM trucks are ones that are tough to beat week in and week out. So uh, I think we're looking at one of the early championship contenders already there with with Chandler Smith. And John Hunter Nemechek, you you can't expect anything less than him rebounding and knocking off several wins uh, as he had five to lead the series (laughs) last year. Yes, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, so far, the season hasn't been what he expected. So uh, he's looking for a rebound this weekend as well. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series now because uh, they've got, they're racing this weekend at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, the United Rentals 200 will take place Saturday, March the 12th. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, for that race, and the purse for this race is a, a cool $1,344,059. Uh, it will be televised again on Fox Sports 1, starting with pre-race coverage at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, also available on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 200 miles. This is a one-lap, uh, one-lap, a one-mile track. So that means they'll be covering 200 laps. Uh, the first two stages are 45 laps apiece. So the first stage ends on lap 45, the second stage on lap 90. And the last stage is 110 laps ending on lap 200. Uh, the defending race winner is Austin Sindrick. I'm not sure if he's on the uh, entry loop this weekend. Uh, so we might be looking at a new winner in this Xfinity series. Well, one thing we're looking at in the Xfinity Series is different faces uh, in familiar places. Let me scroll my screen back up. Hold on one second. The wrong button there, but 
Um, this weekend at Phoenix Raceway in the NASCAR Xfinity Series garage, fans will notice several different faces piloting cars they become familiar with in that United Rentals 200 on Saturday. Joe Gibbs Racing, they've tapped the 2011 Daytona 500 winner, Trevor Bain, as he's jumping back in the number 18 Toyota this weekend in Phoenix. Bain has made 10 Xfinity Series starts at Phoenix, collecting one top five and six top ten finishes. Um, His last start at Phoenix in the series was back in 2014. We mentioned a couple of times Sam Hunt Racing will have the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series John Hunter Nemechek grappling the number 26 Toyota this weekend in Phoenix. Uh, Look for Nemechek to have a good run this weekend. His four previous starts at the one-mile track, he has posted one top five and four top tens. And then Reum Brothers Racing uh, is welcoming our international friend Loris Hesmans from Eindhoven, Netherlands. I got all those names correctly, uh, to pilot the number 33 Toyota this weekend. Hesmans will attempt to make his 2022 season debut and just his second series career start at Phoenix Raceway. In his first start at the one-mile track, he started 40th and finished 31st in this race last season. Okay, and now for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. Through three, uh, through three races this season, uh, the standings are really starting to tighten up. Uh, following Daytona, uh, his Daytona win to open the season, Austin Hill still leads the rookie standings with 74 points, followed by Sheldon Creed at 66, Kyle Sieg with 21 points, and Jesse Awuji with 14. For the driver of the number two RCR Chevrolet, things are starting to look up. Creed posted his second top 10 finish this season, uh, finishing the Alco Uniform 307th. His other top 10 was at Daytona, where he creates RCR teammate Austin Hill. Things haven't gone quite as planned after he won at Daytona. This past weekend at Las Vegas, he was involved in an accident that left him in 31st place. So Jesse Awuji also met the same fate at Las Vegas, uh, finishing in 34th place after an incident with 44 laps to go. Uh, now everybody's heading to Phoenix. And three of the four rookies have made their Xfinity Series track debut at Phoenix Raceway last November. Sheldon Creed put up a best finish with a 10th place, followed by Ryan Sieg's 27th place finish and Jesse Awuji finishing in 30th. Now, Austin Hill is the lone rookie this weekend to make his series track debut at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, But uh, I think we'll see this jumble up uh, throughout the season. Uh, before it's all said and done. I think yeah, it's going another, to be mainly between great... Austin Hill and Sheldon Creed. I'd have to agree. Uh, Creed off to a little bit of a slow start, but maybe some of it not his doing. But uh, another great rookie crop here in the Xfinity Series. I know you and I always like to watch these rookie battles. Mm-hmm. Now, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is staying in the desert. Uh, it's the fourth race of the season. NASCAR Xfinity Series is jumping from Las Vegas Motor Speedway over to Phoenix Raceway for this Saturday's United Rentals 200. This will be the 41st NASCAR Xfinity Series race at the one-mile track that has had 20 different pole winners, 24, 21 different race winners in the series. 
Kyle Busch leads the Xfinity Series with 11 wins. Take a deep breath here. 07, 08, 10, twice in 13, 14, 15, 16, and 19, as well as 10 poles at Phoenix. Now, fans were last in Phoenix for the 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship, where we saw Daniel Hemrick beat Austin Sindrick by a margin of .030 seconds, which is the smallest margin of victory Phoenix Raceway for the history of NASCAR Xfinity Series races. Hemrick returns to Phoenix Raceway this weekend, hoping to become the third different driver to win back-to-back races at the one-mile track, and that would put him on a list with Kyle Busch, who did it in 07 and 08, a 2013 sweep, and then along with 14, and then a 20, 000, or 2015 and 16 sweep, and Austin Sindrick, as Sharon mentioned, in 2020 and 2021. Now, joining Hemrick for a shot at a second victory at Phoenix Raceways is Joe Gibbs racing teammate Brandon Jones, who won there in 2020. Also on the list of previous winners, though, competing this weekend, you got Junior Motorsports, Justin Algar, looking for a three-peat after having won in 2017 and 2019. And it appears the three drivers that are itching for their first win of the season, as they all posted, it appears all three drivers are itching for their first win of the season. They all posted a top 10 finish last weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway as Hemrick was third, Algar fifth, and Jones in 10th place. Okay, everybody's going to remember this from last weekend. JGR's Ty Gibbs wins big in Las Vegas, and he wants to carry that momentum right on into Phoenix. Uh, Last year's Xfinity Series Rookie of the Year and Joe Gibbs uh, Racing driver Ty Gibbs won his first race of this season in the Alco Uniforms 300 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway last weekend. The win marks his fifth victory in the NASCAR Xfinity Series career, having previously won at the Daytona Road Course at Charlotte Motor Speedway, Watkins Glen International, and Kansas Speedway during his rookie campaign just last season. Now the Rising Star is looking to keep its momentum going this weekend at Phoenix. Now it's no surprise that the 19-year-old Gibbs has had success in his Xfinity Series career so far, with Coy Gibbs and NASCAR Hall of Famer Joe Gibbs. To show you the ropes, you can assume that Guy Gibbs is gaining a lot of expertise, and that expertise really shows. Last season, Gibbs became the sixth driver in NASCAR Xfinity Series history to win his series debut, joining Dale Earnhardt, who did it at Daytona in 1982, Joe Ruttman at Dover in 1982, Ricky Rudd at Dover in 1983, Terry Labonte in Charlotte in 1985, and Kurt Busch at 2006. The same season, he also won the Arkham Menard Series Championship and, of course, the Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors. So he's uh, no stranger to success. Gibbs will look to post his second win of the season at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. Right now, he sits second in the series driver standings with 127 points. That's 17 points behind Noah Gregson in the series point standings. Now, Gibbs was impressive in his series track debut at Phoenix Raceway last season. That was the spring race. He started 27th, and he raced his way up to a runner-up finish in that debut. So uh, he's uh, kind of a phenom 
in the Xfinity series, if you will, and uh, uh, he's never ceasing to amaze us as uh, his career uh, continues on. No, and we talked about this last weekend with picking up that victory. Uh, You're going to see him grow in several different ways as he had that on track with Ryan Sieg. I know uh, he apologized uh, both during the break Mm -hmm. and after the race. Um, We'll see how that goes. But I think we did see uh, some maturity on his part, acknowledging his own mistake. As you mentioned, he was a rookie last year, um, but didn't run the full season enough races to qualify as a rookie, but not the full season. Uh, this year running full-time and going for the championship, uh, I think gives them that a little bit different mindset. I would agree. I would agree. Okay, we are ahead of schedule, and that's good because we're now ready to move on to the NASCAR Cup Series. The Ruach Mortgage 500 will take place right down Sunday, March the 13th, which, by the way, don't forget to turn your clocks forward uh, because it's time to change over to daylight savings time. Uh, that way you won't miss anything when it comes to race time. The race should start at about 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. The purse in the Cup Series is $7,039,168. Uh, Fox will carry the coverage starting at 3 p.m. with pre-race, and then also uh, coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be running 312 miles over 312 laps. Uh, the first two stages are 60 and 65 laps. So the first stage ends on lap 60. The second lap, the second stage ends on lap 185, with the final stage ending on the last lap, lap 312. Last year's race winner, Martin Truex Jr. All right, sure. Was it was that a subtle reminder to me? I know I've done that before. I've come on at the wrong time or not not ready at the right time. But that was Eastern Time versus Central. Huh? I I couldn't even use daylight savings <laughs> as an excuse. Yeah. Well, that was just a reminder for everybody uh, that it's that okay. time of the year. It was, it was a good reminder. I know I've been uh, prepared for it because, uh, yeah, I'm one that has a tendency to forget. So um, some of the guys, though, they got a tough one as they, the change over to West Coast time is big. You got Bowman and McDowell heading back home. Uh, it's a very busy weekend for the NASCAR Cup Series most recent winner in Arizona native Alex Bowman following his big win last weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway as the series now heads to his home track of Phoenix Raceway for the Ruoff Mortgage 500. We have a total of 33 drivers in the NASCAR National Series history have their home state recorded as Arizona. Of the 33 Arizona drivers, only two have won a NASCAR National Series race. That's Alex Bowman, comes out of Tucson, Arizona. He's got seven Cup Series victories, um, one Xfinity for a combined total of eight. And then Michael McDowell, he comes out of Glendale, Arizona, has one Cup victory and one Xfinity Series for a total of two. So Arizona drivers, eight Cup victories, two Xfinity, and ten combined, none of them in the Truck Series. Okay. And we're ready for another Sunoco Rookie Update. 
Team Penske's Austin Cindric continues to lead the Rookie of the Year standings in the Cup Series. Uh, the third race after the third race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, he now has 103 points. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, followed by Todd Gilliland, who is 59 points back, and Harrison Burton, who is 69 points back. All three rookies are making their Cup Series track debuts this weekend at Phoenix. So uh, it's going to be fun to see how they do in a cup car. Now, this is another battle we talk about it. I think we're going to see kind of shift, uh, you know, tough to say Austin Cindric's not going to stay up on top, but Harrison Burton has had a rough start to the year. Todd Gillen going directly from the truck series to the cup series, uh, maybe a little bit more of a stepping stone and learning curve. But I think by the end of the year, we're going to see these three be competitive week in and week out. Now, Trackhouse Racing, uh, making Ross Chastain's dreams come true. Uh, driver Ross Chastain has competed in the NASCAR Cup Series since 2017, and this season he finally feels like he has cars that can win. Uh, as he said, it's a dream come true following his performance at Las Vegas Motor Speedway last weekend. Trackhouse Racing signed Chastain to drive the number one Chevrolet for 2022 after purchasing the assets of the Chip Ganassi Racing Organization, the very very team that the Florida native uh, Chastain was racing for at the time. But it wasn't until this past weekend that at Las Vegas that Chastain has had the breakout performance in the series. At Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Chastain led a race-high 83 laps in the Pennzoil 400. It was the most laps he had led in a single NASCAR Cup Series race. And actually, the 83 laps led performance also eclipses in his entire career's laps led total in the NASCAR Cup Series prior to that event, which was 75 laps. So for the first time in his career, Chastain produced the best post-race driver rating in the NASCAR Cup Series event with a rating of 128.3. The next highest driver rating from the Las Vegas uh, race was the event's winner, Alex Bowman, who had a 118.2. Chastain also ran up front most of the day at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, produced a, be- a race-best average running position of 3.82. Comparatively, the next highest average running position from the event was William Byron at 6.48. But possibly what's more impressive or most impressive is how Chastain was able to race his way to the front. He started 18th and finished third, producing the third most place differential in the Pennzoil 400, advancing fifth positions from where he started to where he finished the race. Kyle Busch uh, was 33, plus 33 points, and Kurt Busch plus 18, the only two drivers to better Chastain in that place differential for the event. Chastain will keep his early season success rolling this weekend at Phoenix Raceway, 29-year-old has made seven starts at the one-mile track, has posted an average finish of 23.1. But I think we're going to see that uh, average come down as well. Sharon? Yeah, I'm here. I had a, I was on mute. Okay. I apologize. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about the Dominators in the Valley of the Sun. Uh, and we're talking about the one-mile track of Phoenix Raceway nestled in the Arizona desert. 
And uh, I'll tell you what, there's four former Phoenix Raceway multiple win drivers uh, that are hoping for a kickstart for their year at Phoenix. The 2014 NASCAR Cup Series champion and Stuart Haas Racing driver Kevin Harvick uh, comes into Phoenix Raceway as the series leader in wins at the track. He has nine victories there. The 46-year-old veteran has the opportunity to become just the sixth driver all-time to win 10 or more races at a single track in the NASCAR Cup Series with a win this weekend. NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty holds the Cup Series record for the most tracks with 10 or more wins with five different tracks. Um, at Martinsville, he has 15 victories. North Wilkesboro, 15. Richmond, he has 13 victories. Rockingham, 11. And Daytona, 10. Behind him is Daryl Waltrip, who has three, three tracks with uh, 10 or more victories. Uh, that includes North Wilkesboro with 10, Martinsville 11, and Bristol with 12. Jimmy Johnson has one track, and that's Dover with 11. David Pearson has 10 wins at Darlington, and Dale Earnhardt 10 wins at Talladega. Now, Harvick has not won in the NASCAR Cup Series since the September 19th of 2020, and that last win came at Bristol Motor Speedway. That's 46 races ago. Uh, he's made, Harvick has made 38 career starts at Phoenix, and he's posted two poles, nine wins, 18 top fives, 27 top tens, and his average finish at the track is a 8.8. He finished sixth at the Phoenix Spring Race just last season. For Joe Gibbs Racing, the number 18 team and Kyle Busch overcame a mountain of issues last weekend, and they're working to get, they had to work really hard to get a backup car ready for the race after spinning in practice. Then Bush put up a race-high place differential of plus 33 spots, racing his way up from 37th and starting position to his fourth-place finish. Bush returns to Phoenix this weekend, hoping to get his first win of the season. Uh, He has the second most wins at the one-mile track in the series among active drivers with three. He's won in 2006, 18, and 19. And Bush's last cup win was on June 27th of 2021 at Pocono Raceway. That was 20 races ago. In his last start at Phoenix in November, he finished in seventh. For Team Penske, Joey Logano has multiple wins at Phoenix Raceway in his Cup Series career. He won in 2016 and in 2020. And he's looking for, again, his first win this season. Logano's last Cup win was at the Bristol Dirt Track on March 29th of last year. That was 32 races ago. Logano has made 26 starts at Phoenix, costing one pole, two wins, and seven top fives, along with 14 top tens. His average finish at Phoenix is 13.3. He finished runner-up to Martin Truex Jr. in the Phoenix Spring Race just last season. Uh, Going back to Joe Gibbs Racing, it's Jenny Hamlin this time. Uh, he's not having the start to the season that he was hoping for, but he can right the ship this weekend at Phoenix. 
a track he has won multiple times. He won in 2012 and 19. Amelin finished 37th at Daytona, 15th at Auto Club Speedway, and 32nd at Las Vegas. He now finds himself buried in the point standings heading into this weekend. Danny Hamlin's last win was on September 26th last year at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. That was just nine races ago. Hamlin's made 33 starts at Phoenix, putting up two poles, two wins, 16 top fives, and 20 top tens. His average finish at Phoenix is 10.5. He finished third in the Phoenix Spring Race last season. So uh, four drivers really looking to uh, pick things up at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. Well, some that uh, don't need to pick it up, they've stayed on point, and that's Hendrick Motorsports. <laughs> and their strategy and talent put the series on notice. With their NASCAR Cup Series leading 282nd victory and second, in, second consecutive win of the 2022 season coming at Auto Club and Las Vegas, Hendrick Motorsports has quickly put the competition in the garage on notice. It was a highly strategic move last weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway following a late caution in the race. Three of the Hendrick Motorsports cars took two tires on a final pit stop, leaving the field off pit road, and then chose to line up with two cars on the front row, one on the inside lane virtually boxing out the competition on that final restart heading into overtime. And the outcome was racing mastery at the team team level that worked to perfection and as a result it was a battle amongst Hendrick teammates to decide the race in what was a door-to-door overtime contest Alex Bowman outdrove Kyle Larson in the final laps and claimed his first win of the season and seventh of his career with the Las Vegas victory Bowman jumped 17 spots in the series driver standings all the way up to eighth just 33 points back from his teammate Kyle Larson in the standings lead, and then locked himself into the playoffs for the fifth consecutive season. Now, since the start of 2021 season to now, Hendrick Motorsports has won 19 races, double that of the next highest organization during that same time frame, as Joe Gibbs Racing has nine wins. Plus, the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion, Kyle Larson, he's returned to the top of the series driver's standings following his win at Auto Club Speedway and runner-up finish last weekend at Las Vegas. Chase Elliott currently ranks seventh in the standings, followed by mentioned Bowman in eighth, William Byron in 21st as he had a tough couple of early weeks to start the season. But now Hendrick Motorsports turns their attention to Phoenix Raceway, where they led the NASCAR Cup Series, where they lead the NASCAR Cup Series in wins with 12 victories, including the last two championship races. Go all the way back to 1994, Terry uh, Labonte picked up the race win there, Kyle Busch in 2005, and so it's HMS then, uh, Jeff Gordon in 2007 and 11, Jimmy Johnson, 2007, a 2008 sweep, and then 2009, Mark Martin also in 2009. Dale Earnhardt Jr. did it in 2015, Chase Elliott in 2020, and then last year with Kyle Larson in 2021. And with a victory this weekend, Larson can become the seventh different driver to win consecutive Cup Series races at Phoenix Raceway, 
And he would join Davy Allison, who did it in 91, 92. Jeff Burton in 2000 and 01. Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 03, 04. Kevin Harvick, he knew he was going to be on this list, uh, swept 2006, 2013 playoff race, swept in 2014, and then the 2015 spring race. Mentioned Jimmy Johnson. He fought, he had the fall race of 07 and swept 2008. And then Kyle Busch, the 2018 playoff race, followed by the 2019 spring race. Okay. Well, the last time the NASCAR Cup Series was at Phoenix Raceway was in January for the final stages of the next-gen car testing. The whole industry has leaned in uh, to make the start of the 2022 season a success. Uh, And I think the results have been pretty impressive. The first three races of the 2022 Cup Series season have produced three different race winners in as many races. Austin Sindrick winning at Daytona, Kyle Larson at Auto Club Speedway, and Alex Bowman at Las Vegas. Also three different pole winners, Kyle Larson at Daytona, Austin Sindrick at Auto Club, and Christopher Bell at Las Vegas. The racing up front has been intense. The first three races of this season have produced 25 different lap leaders, the most since 2013, where they also had 25. And an average of 30 lead changes per race, the most through the first three races since 2011, in which there were 41 different lead changes per race. Uh, In 2022, the NASCAR Cup Series season has also produced 194 green flag passes for the lead, the third most since the loop data statistic was initially tabulated in 2007, the last 16 seasons. So behind 2014, in which there were 246 um, green flag passes for the lead, and in 2010, there were 230. Now the series, again, heading to Phoenix Raceway for the next-gen cars can competitional debut on the one-mile track for the Ruoff Mortgage 500. Uh, Phoenix Raceway will have hosted 51 NASCAR Cup Series races prior to this weekend, and they have produced 26 different pole winners and 27 different race winners. So look for more of the same this weekend. Ryan Newman won in 2002, 3, 4, and 8. Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, Kyle Busch, 2006, 12, 16, and 19. Actually, they lead in polls at Phoenix with four each. 11 of 26 Phoenix Raceway poll winners are active this weekend. Uh, they include Kyle Busch with four polls in 1916, 12, and 06. Ryan Blaney, uh, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex, and Denny Amlin all have two. Blaney in 19 and 17, Harvick in 18 and 15, Martin Truex Jr. in 18 and 09, and Denny Hamlin in 2014 and 05. These drivers all have one pole at the track, they include Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Alex Bowman, Keslowski, and A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, Larson did it in 2021, Chase Elliott in 20, 
Logano in 17, Bowman in 16, Brad Keselowski in 14, and A.J. Allmendinger in 2010. Now, Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick leads the series and wins at Phoenix Raceway with nine victories. Again, that 2006 sweep, the 2012 playoff race, the 2013 playoff race, a 2014 sweep, in 15, the spring race, in 16, the spring race, and in 18, the spring race. That's the most by an active driver at a single track. We're at eight of the 27 NASCAR Cup Series uh, Phoenix Raceway winners are active this weekend. Uh, again, Kevin Harvick leads that list with nine. Then it's Kyle Busch, who has three wins in 19, 18, and five. Joy Logano and Denny Amlin both have two, uh, Logano in 2020 and 16, Denny Hamlin in 19 and in 12. These drivers all have one win at the track. They include Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., Chase Elliott, and Kurt Busch. Uh, Kyle Larson and Martin Truex both won in 2021, Chase Elliott in 2020, and Kurt Busch in 2005. Again, all the action begins with practice on Sunday, March the 12th from 1.30 to 2.05 p.m., followed by qualifying at 2.05 to 3.30 on FS1. So be sure to tune in for all the fun there and for the racing at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. Okay, we are at the top of the hour, and it is now time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, as Jane mentioned earlier, we've got a lot on our list uh, to talk about. Uh, I know Andy will be joining us, but I believe Mike is already here. So welcome to the show, Mike. Hello. Good to be back two in a row. All right. Uh, that is always a good thing. And, uh, and there is Andy. So I'm going to bring him into the queue as well. Uh, Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sharon. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing great. I don't know what happened to Jay. He dropped off. So I'm hoping that he'll be able to call back in and we'll bring him into the queue when he does. Uh, Mike, I'm going to start with you uh, to kind of start us off with the hot topics here tonight. Well, sure. Uh, we'll probably talk more about this in a couple of weeks when it gets closer on the schedule. But Bob Pockers today reported that it looks like it's going to be official that Atlanta is going to use a blend line. And we already know that they're going to be using the same package, the uh, engine horsepower and downforce package that's used at Daytona and Talladega. So it's really starting to look like Atlanta is going to be more or less another speedway race. And I'm interested to see what you all think that's going to mean for the racing. Okay, Andy, your thoughts about that? Um, my first thought is there's a lot of unknowns here, you know, and that's why of of all the races to start the year, you know, this one might be more of a question mark than, than any others, um, you know, on top of the fact that the Cup Series has a new car because I don't think we really know what to expect yet. I know they've done a little bit of testing there, and I believe Kurt Busch described it as, um, effectively a super speedway race, but a lot more um, room, a lot less room for error, basically. In other words, you have to be calculated in making your moves. But I don't think we really know what we're going to see until we see a lot of cars on the track 
Um, as far as the package go, Mike's exactly right. For the cup cars, it's the Daytona, Talladega, and now Atlanta package, which is the Super Speedway package. And then, interestingly enough, for the Truck Series and Xfinity Series, they're going to run um, the Super Speedway motor package that they would run at Dega and Daytona, but they're going to run an intermediate package for the trucks and Xfinity cars. So I really don't know how that's going to play out. It sounds like they're treating this like it, it may be like another super speedway race, but um, I really don't know. Um, it could be really, really good. It could be really, really bad. And I think that there's just a lot of question marks around it. So um, I'm glad I'm off that weekend because I will be glued to the TV to critique it. Like Mike and I usually do in the race day chat. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that and, and really really looking forward to, to seeing how it's going to be because I, I really don't have any idea, to be honest. Okay. Jay, what are your thoughts about uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway? Uh, apparently uh, more like a super speedway now. Well, you know, truthfully, it has always been as close as you could get to what they consider a super speedway. Now, when it comes to that double yellow line specifically, the reason for that is the speeds and the getting back up onto the banking at tracks like Talladega and Daytona. So I think NASCAR here with the reconfiguration, so many unknowns uh, going into it, as you mentioned, new car, new track, the, the pavement there, again, Atlanta has always been about that old and lack of grip on the pavement. So I think NASCAR is kind of erring on the side of safety here to start with. We'll see if this becomes a permanent thing or not. Um, but I don't think it's a bad thing when it comes to Atlanta as far as having that bottom yellow line. Now, I mentioned uh, previously, it's always been as close as you could get to the super speedway. It was the fastest a mile and a half. Uh, I know they come, I think uh, top speeds were 190 or upwards. Um, so they were really close already to the speed-wise as far as your super speedways. Like I said, I think it's one of those they're they're going to stay a, hep, a step ahead of the uh, the issue, hopefully, uh, and not take that chance. We know drivers, if you give them that inch or room, they will take it. And so I think NASCAR just wants to to put a limit on that. Once we get to racing uh, a year or two, or you know after this year, if they don't feel it's necessary, maybe we'll see it go away. And I don't know that it's official yet. I think Bob Parker said there that he's expecting it. Uh, and Mike might be able to clarify that if he's got the tweet available, um, that it wasn't official yet, but anticipated. And I say, I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, there are some tracks where using that apron and that bottom dive like that uh, is okay. Uh, Atlanta, I'm not sure, is one of them. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I have to agree uh, with everything that both Angie and James said. Um, uh there are a lot of unknowns going into Atlanta. You've got the new reconfiguration. You've got the new next-gen car. And we don't know how that car is going to race uh, on a, a newly configured track um, and uh, race conditions. So that's what we're going to find out. And I agree with Jay that that double-line rule is probably a good thing uh, given all of the unknowns that we're talking about. And, and going to the, the equation here, the supply chain issues that a lot of these teams are experiencing and having to kind of share parts uh, from the cars and everything, they want to make sure that these drivers can take care of these cars and, and uh, uh, 
you know, be, be available for the next race, if you will. Uh, so uh, I, I know they're leaning toward that at this point. I, I would highly suggest that they do it. Um, as far as having another super speedway type track on the schedule, I have to agree with Jay. This, this, Atlanta Motor Speedway has always been one of the faster tracks on the schedule. It's kind of like uh, uh, Michigan. Michigan is also a very fast track on the schedule. And if you recall, we heard the same thing about Michigan after they uh, did some things on the track uh, about it being more like a super speedway. And I would equate it to being kind of the equivalent to that uh, of what's happening at Atlanta. Um, and we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, but I think the prudent thing to do is to have that double line rule in place, uh, given all of the factors that they're dealing with with the new car and, and the supply chain issues that the, the industry is experiencing as a whole. So uh, I think the racing is going to be really good at Atlanta, uh, and I, I can't wait to see what these cars do on the track. Um, and with the new configuration, uh, I'm with Andy. I'm going to be kind of glued to the TV uh, to see what happens at Atlanta with that new reconfiguration and with the new next-gen car. So, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Sure. Just to answer Jay's question to start out, I did pull up the tweet. The tweet is from Bob Pockras, but Bob says, Steve O'Donnell said that Atlanta will likely have the double yellow line rule. So it's not official yet. It's that the word likely is still being used, but this is coming from Steve O'Donnell, who's kind of the man. And if he says what it is, that's what it's going to be. Uh, so it sounds like a final decision hasn't been made yet. But if a guy like Steve O'Donnell is saying that in public, there's, there's definitely some weight behind it. As far as what that's going to mean for the racing in Atlanta, I'm with y'all. I'm going to be watching, and I'm, I'm curious to find out how it works out. I'm kind of concerned with it, though, just because of some of the comments I've heard from the drivers regarding the reconfiguration. Not so much this year, but when it was first announced last year, a lot of the drivers, especially the senior drivers like Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, were very, very critical of the new layout, and they were not very optimistic about how it would work. Their biggest critique on it was the narrowness of the track. Daytona International Speedway is already a very narrow track in terms of the kind of racing that is done there. I can tell you, having, having been on those turns, TV does not do it justice for how narrow those, those turns are. And Atlanta is another half a lane narrower than Daytona. So it's going to be extremely difficult to go three wide in Atlanta without somebody putting a wheel below that double yellow line and or getting off the banking and losing control. So it's going to be interesting to see how the drivers are able to navigate that. We're talking about some of the best drivers in the world, so I'm sure they're going to figure something out. But trying to treat this like another Daytona Talladega kind of race, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. My concern is, remember back a couple of years ago, we were promised with the 550 hot horsepower high drag package that it was going to produce Daytona Talladega type racing at the intermediate tracks, and we saw how that worked out, and I'm sure Andy has a great opinion of it as well. It did not work out as advertised. So when they're starting to say, hey, Atlanta's going to look like Daytona and Talladega, I, I, I've read this book before. I know how it ends, and I'm hoping I've picked up the wrong chapter. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Andy, your follow-up. 
<clears throat> yeah, to follow up what Mike said, obviously, um, I'm quite relieved that the Cup Series now has a little bit more horsepower and less downforce, and we've seen um, what kind of racing so far to start the year, um, and so we know that uh, we know that the 550 package is best left in the past for sure. <laughs> but um, I think you know the root cause of of why they have gone toward treating this like a super speedway race is out of an abundance of caution it's a new newly repaved track we know that the new repaves generate more speed and also it has more banking than it used to i believe 28 degrees of banking which is up uh uh, several degrees from what it used to be i would have to look up what the old banking was but it is banked considerably more than it used to so it is supposed to be faster and i have to think that based upon testing and the speeds generated in testing that nascar has elected to slow the cars down at least for this year maybe a couple years and, and see where it goes but you know as the pavement wears and the speeds come down um it is possible that we see Atlanta go back to a traditional mile and a half. And I think that it would still produce good racing, um, you know, with the, uh, the little bit more horsepower and the lower downforce. We've seen fantastic racing on intermediate tracks, you know, at Fontana and Vegas so far this year. So, um, you know, I, I guess it remains to be seen if Atlanta can – can sustain itself as a super speedway type race, or if we see it go back to a traditional intermediate race, um, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out, but I, I have to think that they've simply made these changes to, you know, out of the, out of the abundance of caution and, and for safety reasons. Um, but um, I guess we'll know if it's a flop or not. You know, it sounds like they're trying to make it into a super speedway race. And, you know, I guess it really truly remains to be seen whether or not we'll see the field packed up like we would at Daytona or Talladega, or if it's just going to be a bunch of single file racing, I don't know yet, but that's why it'll be worth tuning in just to see how it plays out. You know, there's, there's certainly a lot of unknowns around it. Okay. Jay, your follow-up. Well, to give the numbers there, uh, I knew we had read this earlier in the preview show. The banking uh, increased in the turns went from 24 to 28. Now, it is still uh, only five degrees on the straightaway, but I think the key there that Mike mentioned is the narrowing of the track, uh, decreasing from 55 feet to 40 feet. Uh, And that's where I think the key factor is on tracks where you can go below that line when you blend back in, Part of it's the banking, how hard you're going to shoot back up onto the track when you come off the flat of the uh, non-racing service onto the track. If you have the wider track, you've got more room to maneuver as you come back up in. On top of them narrowing it and then increasing banking, uh, I think that's what they're looking at. And, and as I said, especially since they're saying likely, they haven't even decided for sure, it's that they're factoring in all these unknowns. We have the new repave. The grip's going to be better. Um, letting drivers get used to it, how this new car, the next-gen car, is going to handle on that track as well. So I think it's one of those of right now they're trying to eliminate an additional fifth, sixth, seventh unknown uh, until they are sure of the other things. So if they do it this year um, or for the next two couple of years, I think we may see it go away if they feel the drivers, and I, I don't want I want to imply the drivers can't handle it, but as I said, drivers sometimes do things they can't handle, but will do it anyway just because they can. So take that away from them right now. 
if it gets to a point where they say, okay, if the track is good, the racing's good, these guys got a handle on the track, the new car, they may take it back away. So first, just see how the weekend goes with the uh, the new repave uh, and, the, and the car itself on the track, and then go from there. I don't think it's going to hurt or affect the racing, truthfully. So uh, I don't see it either way, but I do think, like I said, they're looking at it from the safety aspect of, uh, causing a problem, and Sharon, I think, mentioned it, the supply issue, uh, trying to help teams, if they can, help save teams from themselves, uh, as, as you will. Yeah, I agree, and I think Mike brings up a good point. It is going to be uh, the narrowness of the track that the drivers are probably going to have to continue with. There is extra banking, but they're used to driving on extra banking, so I don't see that as necessarily an issue for them. Um but it is going to be an adjustment from what they uh, they're accustomed to. I don't think I've ever heard a driver ever say, "Oh boy, they're going to be reconfiguring the track." I'm so excited about that. Most drivers hate reconfigurations and don't really like the idea of uh, of redoing the tracks. Uh, they like the gritty. Uh, old track surface, and, and uh, they're never in favor of uh, kind of having to work in a new track, if you will. But um, they, they, to Jay's point, they do adapt. Uh, as much they might be kicking and screaming about it, but they do adapt. Um, and and I think that's what we're going to see happen this weekend. Um, but they know what the you know if we know what the issues are or what the concerns are going into the weekend. You've got to think that these drivers all know those same concerns, and they've already kind of talked through uh, how they're going to handle those concerns and, and, and deal with it. it. Is it going to be perfect? No, it's probably not going to be perfect. People are going to have mistakes, and, um, uh, you know, it's how they, how they uh, deal with those things that happen on the track and what they learn from it. And uh, I think Jay is also right in that NASCAR is trying to help these teams save themselves uh, with with what's going on uh, within the industry right now. You know, everybody wants to go out there, put their pedal to the metal, and, and go race. Uh, but the the thing about the Cup Series in particular, I think the thing about the Cup Series is these are the best drivers and uh, they know what they're dealing with, and and, and they'll get through this. Uh, I would think, you know, over the it, it, it will get better uh, as time goes on. Um, as far as the other series racing at Atlanta Motor Speedway uh, this weekend, I think that's going to be interesting to watch as well. They they're not dealing with a new car or a wider tire or any of those kind of things that the Cup Series is dealing with. Uh, they've got the same type of uh, cars, although the Truck Series does have kind of a new thing going on uh, this year uh, that they're continuing with. But the Xfinity Series, uh, everything has remained pretty much the same. So uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see how they go, do uh, on the track. Uh not having the same things that to deal with that the Cup Series is dealing with. Uh, but I think it's all going to be good when it's all said and done. Uh, I, I'm going to be upset, though, if it is single-file racing. I'm not a fan of single-file racing on the track. I don't think anybody is. And I'm hoping that these cars 
uh, especially the next-gen cars, have the capability of making those passes on the straightaways. So we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. Mike? Yeah, it's a shame the track wasn't quite ready to get some robust testing done before they really needed to start getting ready for Daytona. I know they did a couple lower um, – yeah, lower intensity tr- uh, tests there with just a couple cars on the track, but they weren't able to do the big multi-car, 10, 15, 20 cars on the track testing like they were doing at Daytona before the Daytona 500. So there's going to be a lot of unknowns going into Atlanta. And just to clarify, it's not this coming weekend. This coming weekend is Phoenix. Atlanta right. is the weekend after. So Sunday, March 20th, everyone needs to be watching this race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And uh, we're going to learn some things one way or the other. It's going to be real interesting. I would say out of all the races we've done so far this year, Atlanta's probably the biggest question mark because you've got a new car at a new race track with a new configuration and mm-hmm. it's, nobody knows what to do with this thing. I mean, NASCAR doesn't know what kind of package to put on there. They, they're kind of throwing darts at the board saying, I think this might work. Maybe hopefully it works. We don't know if it's going to work. NASCAR doesn't know if it's going to work. We're going to find out on Sunday, March 20th and we'll, uh, we'll watch and find out for sure. Okay. Andy, you're up for the next uh, topic. Yeah, NASCAR upholds the uh, lug nut penalty uh, for Front Row Motorsports number 38 truck series team in which they were disqualified following a second place finish at Las Vegas. Okay. Um, Jay, your thoughts there? Well, I told you this one was going to come up. Uh, Andy brought it up before I got the chance, but um, yeah, I remember when I brought this up to begin with that they were going to appeal, and I said I wasn't sure what the basis of it was. The basis is shavings around the inside uh, of the lug nut, and both now Zane Smith and and the uh, GMS racing team have posted tweets about it as well as I'm trying to think what the other one I put up there was um, another team added to it trying to think who it was but there is some pictures out there and have said that what they get from the manufacturer a portion of them are this way and they have to go through and sort them out I understand the rule is the rule if the lug nut is illegal but if that is how they are getting them delivered to them I don't like the fact that the team has to sort through them and make sure that the one of the ones they're using aren't ones that have been shaved. Uh, so I kind of disagree with the upholding the penalty. However, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, as we say, the rule is the rule. It's your job to make sure it fits within the rule. But I think something needs to be done or looked at then the fact that these teams are getting them in that shaved condition that out of a thousand, they have to, or a box of a thousand, I'm just throwing a number out there, um, a box of a thousand lug nuts that they have to go through and pick out the ones that are deemed illegal by NASCAR due to the shaving. So I don't particularly agree with that. Um, so I think that something still needs to be looked at here. Unfortunately, uh, it, it didn't go in Zane Smith in the uh, team's favor uh, with Front Row Motorsports. I think I said GMS. I apologize for that. Um, but look at it down the road. The one good thing is it happened in this race, a second-place finish, and not his victory. So he still has his victory. That will carry him into the playoffs and doesn't uh, take him back out of the playoffs at this point. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? 
Oh, all the pain. It hurts. It hurts so bad because I have to agree with Jay. Uh, it's one thing. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, it really hurts, man. It does. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Jay's right on this one. Uh, if they were messing with them and they're putting them on a lathe and they're shaving them down, yeah, absolutely. That's a penalty, disqualification, whatever the rule book calls for. But I've said this before with regard to other spec parts, whether it's the air gun for tire changes or spec parts on the Gen 7 Cup car. If NASCAR mandates that the teams must purchase these parts from a certain supplier and they must use those parts as delivered from the supplier, that means that there's at least a little bit of responsibility inherent on NASCAR to ensure that the parts that are being supplied by the mandated supplier meet the specification that NASCAR sets forth for the part to be legal, and therefore the teams that are using those parts in good faith and not modifying them aren't going to get unfairly penalized if a part that they're using as delivered from the manufacturer, which I'll take front row motorsports word for it that they did not modify them and they used them as delivered from the manufacturer. If that's the case, that sounds like it should be something that NASCAR should address with the manufacturer, not necessarily a race team that maybe didn't sort through their lug nut box well enough. Okay, guys, I'll be the one to disagree here. Okay. (laughs) Um, Going through, I'm just reading some of these tweets and Dave Moody uh, his comment is there's plenty of precedent over the years for the it was that way when we bought it defense failing to prevail on appeal. It is the team's responsibility to ensure that every part on their car is correct and legal. Uh, and Sam Hunt, of one of the team owners, says, yeah, and that's why we sort through each and every single lug nut given the current situation, even if it's coming out of a brand new box. So, in essence, yeah, they're getting a box of lug nuts, uh, and they've got to have somebody go through all of that box to make sure uh, there aren't any shaved lug nuts that they're putting on those cars. Um, And it sounds like, according to Godfather Moody, uh, that this isn't the first time that that's been asked of teams to make sure that the parts that they get from a manufacturer are legal. Um, and so if they have to look at those parts and make sure that they're legal before they put them on the car. So uh, there's a couple of ways you can look at this, and I can see where you guys are all have your, your thoughts on this. Uh, but given what, what was said here by Dave Moody, I think uh, this is not the first time that this has happened in NASCAR, and it's always been the team's responsibility that when they get a part from the manufacturer, they have to make sure that part is legal before they put it on the car. So, Andy, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Well, I'm going to split the difference with all of you and say that there's probably uh, <laughs> 50% blame on the team and 50% blame on the manufacturer. Um, and I will start with the team aspect of it of, to your point, Sharon, quality control, right? I mean, teams have to make sure that, um, the race vehicle in all aspects is legal to go onto the racetrack per the NASCAR rule book. And, you know, if a team overlooks the lug nuts or any other part, then, then, then that's on them. And additionally too, vendors should not be supplying parts that aren't legal. So I think that, you know, moving forward, the vendors need to have a better 
grasp on their quality control to ensure that what they produce is good, and the teams have to ensure that what they put on the track is good too. So it's a learning experience for sure. Um, thankfully, in, in the case of the 38 team, they've, they've already won a race. They're already pretty much locked into the playoffs, so I don't think this hurts them too bad. It could have an impact on possibly regular season championships with the loss of those points, but you know, thankfully, I think they'll be able to rec- recover from this. And as we know, they're pretty much locked into the playoffs. But, you know, definitely a lesson to be learned. You know, obviously easy for me to say this, but from the outside looking in, you know, if you can, you know, try to get the quality control down better from the team and manufacturer standpoints, maybe we won't see these types of scenarios as much moving forward. And Sharon, I know we're getting down to the 1030 mark, so take it away. Oh, thank you, sir, for the reminder. <laughs> okay, it's that time of the night when, uh, especially for anybody who's tuning in for the first time, I like to give a heads up at this point to let you know that uh, we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. However, we are going to continue the rest of our conversation, and you'll hear us going off the air mid-sentence. Uh, for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, we, we just want you to know that that's kind of what happens here. Uh, and how you can hear the rest of that conversation. And what will happen is I will go on Twitter to let you know that the podcast is now available. And at that point, you can go to the player at Blog Talk Radio right now and fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of that conversation. So, again, I don't want anybody to be caught off guard not knowing where to go or how they listen to the rest of the radio show. Uh, it's just part of our bonus overtime material uh, that we do each and every week. So, um, again, just a heads up to all of our new listeners. So with that, uh, Jay, we'll go to you for follow-up. Well, Sharon, I don't, I don't know if you really set it up this way, but, but it's really going to break my heart here. Hearing what you said as far as uh, what Dave Moody, the godfather, had to say, I still got to stand <laughs> more so on the side with Mike. I mean, that is a part that is, is standard that, that comes as is, you know, and I think you, uh, somebody said it, Sam Hunt is, uh, was the other team that I mentioned, and, and they, mm-hmm. they said it. You know, they were aware of it. They have to have their team sort through them. But then of why isn't NASCAR or somebody taking it to the suppliers where they don't even have to do that? I mean, we think about it this way. If NASCAR says, hey, you got to buy from this supplier, then if the supplier isn't providing what they're supposed to, does the supplier get penalized? Do they say, hey, we're going to switch suppliers? Um, I mean, I just don't. I understand you're always responsible. And I think back to, I don't know if it was what Moody was referring to, one of the TRD parts, um, I don't remember if it was a camshaft or something, in Matt Kenseth's car when he was driving for mm-hmm. Jacob's Racing. I remember yet, that. that. Yeah, they didn't check, yeah, and they put in. And I'm sure that they absolutely did not do it with any intent. They got it. They put it on. So, yes, I understand the team has some responsibility, but I don't think them taking the full penalty of the, being DQ'd from the race, what penalty did the supplier have other than – Maybe some of the teams say, hey, you know, we're going to not buy from you or, you know, again, I don't know how many manufacturers or what companies are available and it comes to lug nuts. But I just think that something needs to be at least addressed on that side, as as the quote from Sam Hunt Racing said, 
uh, that that should be addressed because that's one of those things that, I mean, is horribly. And, and overall, maybe somebody else can answer this too. Uh, looking at those pictures, what is the difference of that little bit of shaving coming off the lug nut <laughs> that is making such a stir anyway of, you know, finishing second versus third or whatever. But I understand rules are rules, but I think something needs to be looked at a little bit deeper than that. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Well, first I want to address Andy's point. Um, he's right. Zane Smith already has a win, so this doesn't hurt him in terms of the playoffs, but he's still a full-time truck series driver. He's still racing for the regular season championship in the truck series, and being disqualified from a second-place finish to a last-place finish, that's a huge chunk of points that that team's not going to be able to get to apply towards that regular season championship. And there's a lot fewer races in the truck series season versus the cup series to make up that deficit of points that he lost there. So, yes, it doesn't eliminate him from the playoffs. However, it's not without penalty to the team. This hurts them beyond just losing out on a second-place finish. And you know who else it hurts? It hurts me because I picked Zane Smith in our fantasy group, and I went from a second-place <laughs> finish to a disqualification. Out. And that's what really hurts, and that's where it matters. Absolutely. Now, I forgot about that. Oh, okay. I shouldn't have mentioned it then. I should have, I should have taken my second-place finish and ran with it. Um, but I am an honest man, so therefore – in the interest of honesty, I will own up to it. Anyway, with regard to the manufacturer of the parts, Sharon, you've got your saying, you know, once is a, one time is a, a, a what, a, a chance. Uh, twice is a coincidence, no, three times it's a habit. Accident. First time's an accident, second time's a coincidence, by the third time it's a habit. There you go. So if the manufacturer ships one bad lug nut or a box of bad lug nuts once, it's an accident. Things happen, quality control breaks down, we, we didn't notice the machine wasn't set up properly, whatever. But if you have multiple teams saying that, yeah, this is normal, we get bad parts from that manufacturer all the time, and we have to do the quality control after these parts leave the factory and get into our hands, well, now you've gone beyond the coincidence and into the, the habit. Thing. The manufacturer, at least from, from, the, from what it sounds like here, the manufacturer sounds like they have developed the habit of delivering parts that do not meet the specification that NASCAR sets forth for use during races. And if you can't use those parts during the race, why are you buying those parts in the first place? So if they want to penalize teams for having those parts at the racetrack, that's fine. But Something needs to be done. If this really is a trend with the manufacturer that the teams are required by the rule book to go through, NASCAR has to step in as the sanctioning body that says that the teams have to buy from them. They need to step in to ensure that those suppliers are providing good, safe, legal parts to these teams, and the teams don't need to waste time and man hours sorting through doing the quality control that should happen before the parts even leave the factory. But here's the thing, okay? They have to do that for every single part, not just for lug nuts. The, the lug nuts, let's face it, is more tedious, no doubt about it. And I get where you guys are coming from. It, it, nobody likes the idea of having to sit down and go through every single box. And who's to say if they change manufacturers that they're not going to have the exact same problem? This could be the kind of thing that, 
there isn't a solution at this point. Now, you can push the manufacturer to come up with a solution, uh, but every, every team needs to go back to that manufacturer and make that complaint. And they need to log that complaint with NASCAR so that NASCAR can help push back from doing that. And, and I think that's where Andy's coming from. They still have a responsibility to, and maybe I'm wrong, Andy, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, they need to push back without a doubt. Uh, if it's, if it's, uh, I, I don't know what the percentage of lug nuts that are in that box that are, are bad. Some teams are maybe going with the, uh, if we've already got the win and it's a lug nut thing, uh, that's, you know, is it worth going through every single box in order to make sure we're using only the good ones? Uh, I don't know the behind the scenes uh, issues there. Uh, if that is something that can be corrected by the manufacturer or if it's not. But I do think that the teams need to push back uh, with the manufacturer and, and perhaps with NASCAR to change who that vendor is uh, so that they can get somebody who can give them good luck nuts on a regular basis uh, without them having to go through. But here's the thing. Even if it's a small percentage of lug nuts that are not good, it's still the team's responsibility to make sure that that lug nut is a good lug nut before it goes on the car. Just like they have to make sure that that are going inside that car are legal parts before they go into the car. So this, the ownership is still there on the team. Uh, even if, if you push back on the manufacturer and it's just one out of every thousand lug nuts, let's say, they still have to make sure that that one lug nut out of that thousand doesn't get onto the car. So it still puts the ownership on the team to make sure that that is a legal part before it goes onto the car. So I agree with you guys. Yeah, push back. That needs to happen but it's still the team's responsibility that that illegal part does not go on the car. So, Andy, your follow-up. I don't really have much to add to this. You know, I just think that, um, you know, this might be a good time for the vendors to to make sure that what they're producing is legal. And, and I think that the teams also need to, to make sure that, what they put on the track is legal, like I said before, you know, but uh, it's unfortunate, obviously. I don't believe for one minute that the front row motorsports team went into this race uh, with right. any ill intentions. You know, I don't think that they, you know, knowingly had lug nuts that weren't legal. Um, I think it was just an oversight, and I'm sure that that's not something that they'll they'll ever run into again because, of, you know, Gonna gonna have to believe that um, whoever is responsible for the oversight of that will be paying even more attention, and you know, hopefully, this isn't some theme that we see. But you know, it's always unfortunate because you know you expect to you know to get your parts and pieces you know and have them be correct. But sometimes things happen, and you know, I think that you know moving forward, it's a it's a good example for you know these teams to pay a little bit closer attention and. Maybe the vendors played a little bit more closer attention, and you know. But did it have an outcome on the finish of the race? I don't think so. You know, I think that Zane had a good truck and and ran well, and 
despite some adversity, finished second, and it's too bad that he takes the DQ because Mike Orzel takes the DQ as well for fantasy points, which is <laughs> the worst part about this whole thing. So, um, But he'll recover, I'm sure. But nonetheless, you know, it's unfortunate. You hate to see stuff like that. Um, but like I said, just paying attention moving forward, whether you're the vendor or the team, will probably prevent this. Okay. So, Jay, you're up next for the next hot topic. Well, I'm not I'm not going to get burned again by Mike of bringing up his hot topic, so I'm going to skip over one on our list. I'm going to go up to the other one of NASCAR making two executive key leadership moves. And I had – here we go. Uh, it's on jsky.com uh, is where I'm reading from. They have – moved Steve O'Donnell to chief operating uh, officer of NASCAR and Ben Kennedy returning to the competition team. Uh, as COO, O'Donnell will continue to provide oversight on all NASCAR competition racing operations while adding track operations and strategic development to his purview. With these additional or added duties, all NASCAR-owned tracks, track presidents and respective events fall under O'Donnell's responsibilities. And then on the other side, uh, in returning to the competition team, Kennedy will maintain oversight of the National Series schedule development while assuming immediate oversight over racing operations, track services, transportation, officiating industry, and relations in the NASCAR Touring and Weekly Series. And he will work uh, with O'Donnell in managing the areas of at-track competition and racing innovation. Okay, Mike. Well, I'm I'm glad Jay read through all of that because, to be honest, obviously I know who Steve O'Donnell is, I know who Ben Kennedy is, but I wasn't super familiar with their roles. Uh, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Steve O'Donnell's done fairly well in his current position. I think the changes that they've made, particularly to the schedule over the past couple of years, uh, have been very positive for the sport. And I think it's still early, so. We're only three races into the season so far, but I've liked what I've seen so far with the Gen 7 car, and I know Steve O'Donnell is very big in the development of the Gen 7 car as well. So two really big uh, improvements there. Moving into the new role, I would say the two major issues that NASCAR has to address now are the at-track experience and officiating. And sounds like both of those kind of fall into Steve O'Donnell's wheelhouse now and working with the tracks to improve the overall fan experience, whether it's via concessions, at the track activities, access to this facility via uh, you know, roads or coordination with the local community to get, uh, to get the infrastructure necessary to get fans in and out of there safely and efficiently. Uh, th- those all need to be addressed because it's, those are common complaints that you see on social media when people go to these racetracks and they're stuck in traffic for three hours trying to get in and out of the place. So hopefully that can get addressed and improved a little bit. And then officiating, I know, Sharon, on the last show, you were very hard on on NASCAR for seemingly spending a lot of unnecessary time under caution. And we also talked about some of the issues with not throwing a caution when it was necessary to do so. So I would say the officiating thing is another piece that can be improved. And hopefully some of these leadership moves will get the right people in the right places to address and improve the sport. Andy, your thoughts. Uh, positive movement, I think, for NASCAR leadership. Um, Steve O'Donnell has, has done very well in his um, 
present role. He's been visible, certainly been a go-to voice when it comes to NASCAR-related questions for the media and, and answering questions that I think the fans have had, you know. And so for him to move up in management um, and take on a, you know, an even greater leadership role is, is a good thing. I think he's been uh, a really good uh, firm leadership person, you know, and, and that's something that's been in question in years past. So for him to, to remain in a viable leadership role is good. And then uh, Ben Kennedy, you know, to have, you know, the oversight power that he'll have for racing operations, I think is key. Um, ben used to be a racer himself. You know, he he's a truck series winner. This is a guy that understands racing and I think was important for him to be a driver for as long as he was because I think he understands uh, a lot of aspects of racing operations from the standpoint of a race car driver. And I think that's what makes him successful in his uh, NASCAR leadership role. So I look at these as positive developments moving forward. And I think it, it strengthens NASCAR's leadership and it strengthens the racing operation side of it as well. Um, so in my mind, these are, these are good roles for both of these people and positions um, leadership to be successful moving forward. Yeah, I have to echo the same comments that you guys are making. I think these are positive movements. I think they're putting strength on strength. And uh, with both of these individuals who have shown uh, strong uh, skills in the areas that they're managing, and uh, I think that, that we will continue to see uh, positive results uh, from both individuals. Uh, I, I um, would only add, uh, and I think we talked about this after the clash, they did such a good job, I think, with the Bushlight Clash uh, and the promotion of that event and, and um, the talent that they brought in. Was it perfect? No, it wasn't perfect necessarily. Uh, but I, I see this team really looking at that and saying, how can we improve on that moving forward? Uh, but I, I do think that one of the things that uh, I was excited about is that uh, with the success that they had at that Bushlight Clash is we're seeing a lot more people on Sunday at the track. And I think that this, this – um, this will also help the promotion of the racing product uh, at all of the tracks. Uh, and I think that that is part of what has been lacking in the past. And I do think that this is going to kind of, uh, kind of up the game there because one of the things I like about Ben Kennedy is he is an out-of-the-box thinker. He, he doesn't necessarily see that uh, – we need to do things the way we've always done things uh, because that's what's always worked in the past. He's looking at the future and how we need to change things to make things work for the future <laughs> because what happened in the past is not always the best thing for what we need for the future. And that's what I like about Ben Kennedy and the things that he's done up to this point. And to Andy's point, the fact that he has the experience as a driver and at all the various levels uh, of NASCAR, I think is a really, really positive thing. It, not only does he have experience as a driver, he's a team owner as well. There's Ben Kennedy Racing. So he's got that team owner 
perspective as well. And I think that that's all really, really good. So I'm, I'm excited for it. And, uh, I just see, uh, you know, a lot of really good things happening from these moves. And again, I'll start, I'll end with what I started with. I think they're putting strength on strength here. You always put a person, um, Peter Drucker, I said, if, uh, if you put a focus on a person's uh, performance, it will, it, let's see. No, if you put a focus on a person's skill, you will get that performance. Uh, something to that effect. I did. I kind of messed up that quote, but it's kind of the thing. And I think that's what they're doing here. They're looking at what these people's skills are, and it will make a demand on their performance. And and I think we'll get good results as a uh, because of that. So Jay, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I want to be with part of the team here. Uh, you know, it happens occasionally where we're all on the same page. How can you not see this as a positive um, all the way across the board? We've all been impressed with the results we've seen from both of these in their positions. And, uh, you know, I noticed that they're still maintaining the, the, their current position. They're adding to it. So my only hope would be that it doesn't take away from what they've done so far. But as, as Sharon, you were alluding to there, and I know Mike likes to talk about this with drivers, they're being rewarded for their performance and the skill they've shown what the, where they've been at to give them that opportunity in another area. Um, so I'm really excited about the direction. Even with, you know, I know Ben Kennedy, I'll focus on his part of, he gets a lot of the credit. And I know it's a NASCAR is a team and they got a lot of key members, but the schedule. Yeah, there were some things with the schedule I didn't like, but as a whole, as Sharon said, it's not, hey, we're going to just do what's been done in the past to maintain status quo. We're going to change some things up. We're going to look at some things. Like I said, Chicago Street Course, do I think they should be looking at that? Maybe not. But they are looking for it and trying to evolve to make sure that, that they're providing the best uh, product available, not just on the track, but as well as Mike mentioned, the at-track experience, the variety. So, yeah, I think this is a really good move by both of them. I think they've done an excellent job in the roles they've been in. And I just look forward to seeing what they can do with these new roles and how we grow as a sport. Mike, your follow-up? I think the biggest thing to hang our hat on with uh, Steve O'Donnell, the, the best change that he's made, not just him. It's been a leadership culture that he has led, but he yeah. is not solely responsible for. I want to be clear about that as well. Uh, the biggest thing that I would say versus the previous leadership who shall not be named but came to an abrupt and welcome end after the 2018 Watkins Glen race uh, has been that he's been open to suggestion and open to feedback. And that's been a welcome change that we've seen in the sport over the past few years with O'Donnell and his leadership group versus the previous. The previous attitude seemed to be, nah, we know what you like. You're going to like what we're going to do. Whether you like it or not, you're going to like it. And that was just kind of the attitude of, certain elements within the NASCAR leadership, and they made changes that were not particularly popular with the fans and ended up being detrimental to the sport in a lot of times, and, and we're kind of still digging our way back out of that in, in some regard. And the fact that Steve O'Donnell and his team have been open to listen to the fans, communicate with the fans and the drivers as well, get that feedback, 
and look for ways to improve the sport based on that feedback, I think has been a very welcome change over the past few years. And hopefully that continues with these two respective promotions. Andy, your follow-up? I don't really have any for this one. Yeah, I, I would agree with Mike, too. I, I was going to bring up exactly the same thing. You know, I highlighted Ben Kennedy on the first go around. Uh, Steve O'Donnell, one of the things I really like about him is you see him on social media responding to fans' questions and looking for feedback from people. The other thing that they've done so well, and I would include Steve Phelps on this, is uh, – to Mike's point, they are not only working and listening to what fans are saying, they're listening to what the teams are saying, what the team owners are saying, what the drivers are saying, um, what the track owners are saying. They're trying to get everybody to the table and hearing all sides of what's happening and then coming up with what the solution should be that's going to work for everybody. Uh, and it's, it's not going to be perfect for everybody, but it's going to be the best for the overall product. And I think that's what we're seeing happening within NASCAR. And that's uh, what I think we as fans want too, uh, is, is uh, uh, the good solution that's going to keep this sport healthy uh, moving forward. So, uh I applaud uh, all of these the the changes, and I think it's not just these two people that are making a lot of these things happen, but these two people are are the two people that have just recently moved there in their positions, and so that's why we're talking about them. I think there's a a group of people at NASCAR that are doing a lot of things right right now. So, Jay, your follow-up? Well, I'm concerned about Mike. You need to go to the hospital, uh, get you an appointment, get a splint for that finger that you pointed so hardly. I mean, the only thing you could else you could have done was given the initials BF uh, without outright saying a name. But uh, get that finger checked. I don't want you to, to have a strain in that later on down the road. Um, if you know who Sharon I'm talking just... about, you know which finger is in question. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Sharon hit on something there. These are the the leaders of these teams. You mentioned it is a team. NASCAR is a team, but that's the key thing. And Mike can attest to this with the military. You know, the team can only do what they can do under good leadership. And I think that's a key element to it. Uh, it is not that they are doing it alone. It is the team that they have, but then the leadership and the direction they take. So uh, having them as a part of the NASCAR leadership team taking the sport then in a good direction um, is, is, like I said, I mentioned, I, I feel a really good thing. We've been impressed overall. Again, we always have a, a few things that we don't agree with or, or see as right, but as a whole, you definitely have to give them uh, an A or a high mark anyway for what they've done, uh, bar, barring any, any things we might personally disagree with. So, really looking forward to it, and I think it was a great move uh, with NASCAR. Excited to see the direction they're going. Okay. Uh, that is uh, all that we're going to say about that, but I wanted to really highlight on something here. Um, NASCAR took ownership. We talked on the show uh, a while back here about that um, 
caution that was not thrown for Spencer Boyd uh, and that he was on the track with a dislocated shoulder and it took a while for them to throw the caution. NASCAR took ownership of that. And I'm just bringing that up as kind of a follow-up to our discussion and said, yeah, we blew it. And uh, we're looking at how we can make sure that that never happens again. I don't see, did we put it on the Hot Topics uh, thread here? Because I can't seem to find it right now. But um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, Mike had internally. I'm sorry. Here it is. I just now found it. No. Uh, yeah. So they, they took ownership of it. Uh, that's another thing that we never used to see from NASCAR. Uh, that I'm glad to see that NASCAR is taking ownership of that and saying we know it was a big mistake. Uh, we don't want to ever make that mistake again, and we're going to try to avoid it at all costs. So that was a good thing uh, that I wanted to throw in there as a follow-up to our previous discussion there. So anything that you guys want to add to that real quick? Uh, Andy, we'll start with you. Uh, no, I'm pretty good on that. Okay. Uh Mike? Yeah, nothing that hasn't been said. I agree with you, Sharon. I'm glad they took ownership of it. I hope they can make some positive changes to, like they said, avoid it ever happening again. Mm-hmm. And Jay? Yeah, uh, going with Mike, and I know when we talk about airplanes, they have two investigations. One's a safety that is strictly of find out what went wrong and fix the problem, not necessarily put blame. They took care of it in two parts. They took the blame, they accepted it, and like you said, they're going to make sure it doesn't happen again. That fixes the problem as well. So uh, good on them and good for standing up and saying, hey, that was on us. We made a mistake. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's do our roundtable real quick. Uh, uh, Andy, we'll start with you and go around the table here. Uh, yeah, CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, as always, cool to be on the show tonight, and um, looking forward to uh, the racing at Phoenix this weekend. I um, believe I will be watching the Cup Race Live, Xfinity, I'll catch up on at a later time, but looking forward to Sunday for sure, and uh, looking forward to the race day chat. Should be a good one. Uh, Mike. It's Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I am also looking forward to the racing at Phoenix. It should be really good racing that usually is at that track. Uh, I'll be on the race day chat with Andy. I will be working the next two weeks, though, so I will most likely have to miss you all on the radio show until uh, the first week of April, I think. I'll get back with you on the calendar, but it's uh, it might be a couple weeks before you hear from me. Okay. Okay. Uh, you can follow me, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, uh, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And hopefully I should be able to watch uh, more of the NASCAR racing this weekend. Unfortunately, due to weather leading into this weekend, Magnolia Motor Speedway here in town has already had to uh, cancel their event for this weekend. So get to watch a little bit more of it. And I just wanted to add here, here uh, I know we kind of, I think, maybe touched on it. Prayers and thoughts with the DGR team. They had a NASCAR, yeah. one of their Arkham and Ard series haulers, involved in an accident between Phoenix and Vegas that the driver uh, was declared dead at the scene. 
Um, I know Mike put up they, they were still going to manage to get a car out there, but thoughts and prayers with the family of that driver and then the, the DGR team of suffering that loss as a team and the NASCAR community as a whole. Thank you, Jay. Uh, I was I, I got that up here on my screen because I wanted to make sure that we mentioned that to you. Uh, we were saddened to learn that David Gilliland Racing's hauler driver Stephen Stotts uh, lost his life in an accident and went to uh, Phoenix this weekend. And um, it really is uh, very sad when something like that happens. I know the NASCAR community is very good at coming together in these situations, but our thoughts and prayers are certainly not only with uh, the Stotts family, uh, but I believe there were other uh, injuries that were sustained in that accident and other families that are being affected, and our thoughts and prayers are with all of them. And um uh, with DGR and the, the entire team, I know that they're mourning that loss. So our thoughts are there uh, with each and every person that's being affected by this, and uh, we are saddened by the news. So thank you very much for bringing that up. Um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio uh, elsewhere, including our website, which we continue to have some issues there. Uh, we're working on that, and we'll try to get that resolved as quickly as possible. Um, and uh, I won't go into any commentary there, but uh, I'll just go ahead and lead into uh, thank uh, thank you to our Fan for Racing crew, uh, Jay, Mike, and Andy. Uh, it's always fun doing our NASCAR Hot Topics. And uh, although I know you can't always be here every week, uh, we've got a great uh, backup crew uh, that is able to step in and uh, help us continue our Hot Topics conversation each and every week. So thank you to all of our fan racing crew. And uh, we had JoJo Wilkinson on earlier tonight. If you haven't heard that interview, uh, she gave us a great uh, conversation during the 9 o'clock half hour, the second half hour of the show here. Uh, you'll want to go back and listen to that if you haven't already heard it. And um, we will look forward to being back on air this Monday. We uh, have, uh, again, Zachary Tinkle is on the schedule for Monday night at 9 o'clock. And uh, we'll have to let you know about Thursday night, and we'll do that on Monday. And uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend of racing like everybody else. I can't wait uh, for the, everybody to get back on the track and for us to see what happens uh, at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. So thanks a lot, everybody, for tuning in. We'll look forward to talking to you again on the other side. Take care now. We'll have call a good day, everybody. Right, Laura, Laura Rush, our guest is joining us now. Oh. Laura Rush, our guest is 